All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, few and far between. Uh, my name is Patrick DeMar, and this is the very first episode of a sports podcast that I'm going to be uh, running and, and uh, pioneering, trailblazing. I don't know, whatever the word is. It's something I'm trying, something I've wanted to do for a while. Here we are. Um, I just got done having a conversation with a couple friends of mine about uh, Major League Baseball, um, talking about sort of where some teams are in the standings, um, World Series odds, All-Stars. Uh, we had a great conversation as well, uh, talking about our five most influential players of all time. However, all baseball is the main subject of today. It's not uh, the main subject that I'll be running with for this podcast. I want to try to do a bunch of different things, talk about a bunch of different things, not just sports, uh, branch out to other things I'm passionate as well. Uh, about whether it be music, movies, pop culture, whatever, pretty much whatever I want to talk about. I want to make this a space to do that with and to do it with friends, people I, I share conversations normally with on those topics and and people who I have conversations with that, that I think others would want to hear those conversations, if that makes sense. So here we are today, whatever you see here on this first episode, uh, hopefully things will progress and get better again this is the first i don't really have a great setup here at the moment i got this microphone and some cables and whatnot literally like today and uh it's a work in progress but it's progress is being made we're here we got our foot in the door and we're going from there so um feel free to join in join along for the ride share with friends if you like sports um i don't even have a name for this thing yet i'm kind of just going for it so here we go um, first thing I want to talk about before I, I bring that baseball part of the podcast into it, I want to talk a little NBA free agency. Um, free agency opened up today, and uh, just a few hours before free agency opened up, Kevin Durant, um, all-star forward for the Brooklyn Nets, announced he's looking for a trade. Um, this didn't really shock me after Kyrie, Kyrie excuse me, announced he would be opting in. Uh, to his contract this season with the Nets. Um, I, I've seen a bunch of different takes as far as places he, people think he may end up. Kevin Durant, that is. Um, a lot of people are saying as well that there's a good chance that Kyrie is moved as well as KD. So I, I spent the last uh, a little while digging through the NBA trade machine, trying to piece together deals that I think I think make sense. And that I think teams actually may do. And and breaking down the list, I saw a report saying that like half the teams in the league called the Nets pretty much right after KD announced he was looking for a trade. And 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 going through pretty much every team in the league, there's certain teams where you can see, all right, the cap situation makes sense. They've got some assets. And then you have other teams where it's like, eh, this is a little more 50-50. And then others that just don't really have a chance. Um, so I, I broke it down. I think there's really, really realistically, there's probably anywhere from eight to 10 teams that could actually make a move for Kevin Durant. I think there's really only, let's call it six or so teams that will actually make a move, uh, may actually make a move. First of all, I'm ruling out the Celtics, the hometown Celtics. Uh, it's my hometown team from Massachusetts originally. Um, 
Jalen Brown for KD plus a whole bunch of others is something I saw. The Celtics could make that work cap wise, but I really don't believe that's the direction they want to go as a franchise. If I'm Brad Stevens, I'm thinking I just made it to the finals with Tatum and Brown. And these guys are only 24, 25 years old. It's not like they're hitting their peak, their prime years yet. Keep building with us. Keep building with these guys. We, we've we've shown now that we can make it to a finals. We need a few more pieces to take that next step. But with free agency coming in, there's a bunch of guys that they can make a move for with a mid-level exception. Um, and I, I don't really see them making a KD move. That's not really a direction I see they're going in. Uh, so I'm ruling them out. The next team I'm ruling out is the Mavericks. Um, I think Durant... And Luca would be a great, just dynamic offensive scoring combination. And those are two of the most talented players in the game. And immediately they would become the biggest threat to Golden State if they were to pull that move off. But if you look at Dallas's assets, there's just not really the guys to make it work. Um, just looking at the trade machine now, it's it's like you have Spencer Dinwiddie, you have... Um, a uh, couple other guys here and there. Um, Dinwiddie is, is one who's got like 20 million on the books. You could throw Tim Hardaway that direction. Christian Wood, maybe Reggie Bullock, all guys making 10 plus million dollars, but none of those guys are someone you want to have as a centerpiece of a deal coming back for Durant. Now Luca is under contract for five years and Durant will be under contract for the same amount of time. Um, so essentially what the Mavericks could do is just pretty much sit, like make the salary match and then just send basically every first round pick that they have for the next five years over. Um, it's something you have to keep in mind as well with these conversations. DeJounte Murray from the Spurs just got traded to the Hawks for Danilo Gallinari and then three unprotected first round picks. DeJounte Murray's never even made an all-star team. So if a guy who's not even an all-star who's going to be starting in the backcourt for a potential playoff team is getting moved for three first bound, three unprotected firsts. What does one of the greatest scoring wings of all time go for? How many picks are going to be going in that? What kind of players? So you really have to look at what these teams may or may not have in their locker that can make these deals work. Uh, other teams I considered uh, the Raptors, the Pelicans, the Bulls, the Jazz, the Suns, the Heat, and the Bucks. Um, the Raptors, you could argue that really to make the salary work, all they have to do is move Pascal Siakam. And they've got you know a bunch of championship pedigree on that team left over from a few years ago uh, that they could hang on to. Fred Van Vliet is still there. OG Ananobi. Um, Chris Boucher, I believe, was on that title team. I could be wrong. Um, from a few years ago, but you know, you could move, uh, Siakam. Um, I would try to hold on to Scotty Barnes if I could, if I was the Raptor, just because he is a very talented player. He, he had an incredible year this year as a rookie. Um, I, I think Toronto would have the pieces to make it work. I don't, I don't know if I see it happening because again, I think the nets are kind of factoring into this. How happy will Durant be They're They're, kind of trying to make it a smooth transition for him somewhat because the way this is working 
whichever team is going to be taking on Durant, they have to think, all right, we need to be able to compete for the duration of what's left of his contract because otherwise we could just end up doing this dance another couple of years ago, a couple of years down the road. Who are we trading into if, if he's unhappy? So the Raptors, I think, are maybe a dark horse, but not really one of my favorites. Uh, the Pelicans, same kind of deal. Um, I actually think this is one of the more interesting possible landing spots because if you're looking at their roster, the first name that jumps out to you is Zion. Um, yes, Zion didn't play any games this past year, but he was still the first overall pick a couple of years ago. He still has a ton of talent. He's an athletic specimen. Um, he's someone you can build around. Now, the rest of the salary would get interesting from there. You could maybe throw in uh, Jonas Valanciunas. You could maybe throw in... Um, Jackson Hayes or, or Larry Nance Jr. or something, but then you're going to have to throw in a whole bunch of picks on top of that. I think the Pelicans, because of the assets they got back in the AD trade a few years ago, as well as having a guy like Zion, having another young player like Hayes, you can maybe make it work. Um, they've got a decent core to build around already. Ingram, McCollum, uh, some of their younger uh, players are great as well. Jose Al Alvarado. Um, I, I don't think that's impossible, but again, I don't think it's one of the more likely situations. Um, Ingram and, and Durant are also super similar players, super similar body types. Um, that's an interesting one for me, but I don't know how likely it is. Um, the bulls, I don't, the bulls could make it work. Um, it's kind of like, Either they're giving up Levine in a side-in trade, and if they do that, they're probably giving up, I don't know, one other player and then a whole bunch of other whole bunch of picks. But what's more likely for them is trying to give up DeRozan, Kobe White, or um, Patrick Williams, and then a whole bunch of picks. Um, I... I don't hate this destination. I would say it's probably the fifth, most likely fifth or sixth purely because Chicago can make it work from an asset standpoint. And depending on what happens with Kyrie, Levine might end up being one of the better players that Brooklyn could get back uh, in this whole situation. Um, I'm going to talk about the Suns and the Heat next before I get to the to the deals I would actually like to see. Um, the Heat is an interesting one because with the Heat, first of all, you need to give Jimmy Butler his respect. Um, Butler led the team to the finals in the bubble a couple of years ago. He led the Heat to one game away from the finals and really one shot away from the finals this past year. And that was even with, you could tell he was gassed throughout the series. You could tell he was playing hurt for a while. He had an absolute no-show from some of his teammates in those games. I mean, Kyle Lowry was not in basketball shape at all, you could tell. Um, with this deal, it's really just, it comes down to one specific thing. How highly do the Nets value Tyler Harrow? Are the Nets looking at Tyler Harrow and saying, this is a guy that I want back in a centerpiece deal for, this is a guy that I want as the centerpiece in a deal for one of the most talented scoring players of all time. 
I can, I can build an entire offense around him. After that, you're probably, if you're saying yes to that, then you're including Duncan Robinson in that deal. You're including, you're including Kyle Lowry in that deal. And then some picks and pretty much after that, I mean, that'll work. And, you know, the salary matches, but I don't know if the Nets really value, value Harrow like that. And I don't know if anybody does. Yes, he's talented. He's, he's a great scorer. He can create, but he's a no factor defensively, which we saw in the, in, in the playoffs. Pat Riley talked about um, in his exit conference about wanting two-way players and, and kind of obviously hinted at, at Harrow with that. Um, however, the ulterior option for this, and I, I don't really see the heat. The ulterior option for this is the heat give up either Bam or Jimmy Butler in this trade and, and get KD, or KD back and, and give up a few picks anyways for him. Um, I think that concept is way more interesting because it makes the salary more flexible. Theoretically, you wouldn't have to give up Harrow in the deal if you give up either Butler or Adebayo. Um, however, I don't know if Pat Riley and good conscience moves away from Jimmy Butler, because I think he sees the work that he puts in. I think he sees what kind of competitor he is. And I think he understands that if he can find a way to pair Butler and Katie together, that's a team that can win a championship, uh, out of bio. I think he would consider and strongly consider at that but you have to be able to find someone else to plug into that role if you, if you do that route. Um, so that's kind of the caveat with the Heat. But the Suns, the Suns can make this work easily. Um, it's really just a matter of whether or not they want to tie that much money into Kevin Durant when they're already going to have money tied into Devin Booker and they're already going to have money tied into Chris Paul. Um, in this deal, the Nets would almost definitely get back DeAndre Ayton Jay, uh, Jay Crowder would probably come back to the Nets in this deal. Maybe Mikal Bridges. Um, maybe um, Cameron Payne. Um, I, I think it would probably be a deal that's centered around Aiton, Crowder, Bridges. There's going to be picks involved and maybe one more player. Um, I think that's a possibility. Now, my two fun, my two fun trades. Um, this, this one is the one that I, I think is less likely to happen, but would be great just for memes and, and making everybody happy, including NBA Twitter. It's a three-team trade. Uh, it involves the Nets, the Lakers, and the Jazz. And you probably already see where I'm going with this. Um, the Nets and the Lakers will swap Russ and Kyrie. Um, the Lakers will also get back Seth Curry. The Jazz will be giving uh, Nikhil Walker-Alexander to the Lakers, or to the, uh, to the Nets, excuse me, as well as Rudy Gobert. And the Jazz will get back KD. So this is a three-team deal. In one sense, you are giving Kyrie what he wants in getting him back with LeBron and the other sense you're giving what the Nets want and cutting ties with him altogether. Um, however, with that, you're bringing back Westbrook 
or West Brick, as everybody on Twitter calls him now. However, he's a former MVP, but he's also the highest played, one of the highest paid players in the year this coming year and is a walking miss from the field, more or less. Um, and you're getting back Rudy Gobert, who, while he's an incredibly talented defensive player, the, the Jazz haven't been able to do anything with him in the playoffs. And with this deal, essentially, you're saying, as the Nets, this is Ben Simmons' team. We're going to ride with him this year. We're going to give it a shot. We're going to see what happens. We're going to build around the defense that he and Gobert bring to the court. And we're going to try our best to find other guys who can score the ball. Um, whether that's Westbrook running the offense and hawking up 30 shots a game from wherever, or maybe they bring in a few free agents. I, I don't know. Um, on the Lakers side of things, I think this actually makes them a much better team. Um, say what you want about Kyrie, but he's a much more efficient scorer than Westbrook at this point in their careers, even if he's maybe only showing up to 50, 60% of the games. And you're also bringing in a guy like Seth Curry, who the Lakers need shooters at this point. Um, you know, you look at their roster, there's really just not that much depth. Um, like LeBron, AD, Malik Monk, Dwight Howard, Talon Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, Wayne Ellington. It's like, all right. These guys can't win me a title. LeBron knows that. Why, why do you think he's he's so in on this deal? Why do you think he's trying to push to bring a guy like Kyrie in? Yes, he has a relationship with Kyrie already and has won a championship with Kyrie, but their relationship's been fractured and Kyrie's been Kyrie. So I think this deal helps the Lakers. The Jazz side of it is really interesting because on the Jazz side of it, you look at their roster, really the only thing holding them back in the past few years has been Gobert and the performance of the team in the playoffs. They were a one seed at the end of the year, not last year, but the year before. You bring in Durant, you pair him up with Mitchell, who's under contract for the same amount of time that Durant is. Um, you got Mike Conley running the point, Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson. Um, you got some other kind of interesting pieces further down the bench. I think this would be a good move for the Jazz. I don't know if it makes them a, a title winning team, but it makes them better. You know, it, it gets them into that conversation. Um, I think it's an interesting deal, but the deal that I'm absolutely terrified of happening. If it were, if this were to happen, um, it would absolutely break the NBA for one and two, it would almost guarantee that our finals uh the next handful of years will be between golden state and milwaukee unless the celtics really have figured some stuff out chris middleton grayson allen and every first round pick the bucks own for kevin durant and seth curry you'll notice again i'm including seth curry in this deal i think with the Bucks, they're recognizing yes if we had had Chris Middleton in this previous playoffs we may have beaten the Celtics in our series we may have beaten the Heat in the series we may have even gone on to win the title because Giannis Antetokounmpo Antetokounmpo Giannis is however you say his last name <laughs> Giannis is an incredible talent 
he's probably the most gifted and talented player the league has seen just purely in terms of length, ability to, to defend and attack and with the level of, and what kind of teammate he is. He's, he's like a modern day Kareem when I, when I watch him. And again, I don't, I'm not old enough to have seen Kareem play live, but I've actually gone out of my way to watch a lot of game film and the way they move on the court is super similar. I, I, I feel like, I don't know, man, like that series that the Celtics had with the Bucks, every single game watching the Celtics try to figure out a way to stop Giannis. It was like open heart surgery going down a, a 300 foot drop on a roller coaster. It was terrifying, terrifying. And, you know, I think the Bucks understand the team that they have already. And I think Middleton is a good player. Uh, a pretty, pretty damn good player, actually. Um, however, Middleton's making $37 million over the next two years. Kevin Durant's only making five more million dollars than him this coming season. And Allen is like a non-factor. He can shoot sometimes, but defensively he's a liability. Curry's basically a more experienced, somewhat better version than him. If I'm giving up, if I'm doing this deal, I'm getting slightly better versions of both of these current players. Um, Middleton a little bit younger, a little bit fresher. Sure, he was hurt to end the year last year, but he has less injury issues than KD. I'm legitimately terrified of this deal happening. Legitimately. Um, KD and Giannis on the same team is an absolute nightmare scenario for pretty much everybody else in the league. I mean, name, name a scarier duo in the NBA if this happens. Harden and Bede, I guess. But what else do they have? The Bucs were at where the NBA title winners just two years ago, and their roster is pretty similar to what it was a couple years ago. There's a few changes, yeah. But with this, you're improving. You're not staying the course. You're not banking on the same thing happening. And, and I don't really see Giannis leaving after his four years are up. They could probably bring him in for another if they failed to do so, then they're still going to have KD for another year after that. Um, that would be my, my number one um, spot for Kevin Durant to land, honestly. Um, I don't know if it'll happen, um, but it would be interesting. That's for sure. So to recap, it's my, my most likely destinations for Kevin Durant uh, this year with trade. Number one, Milwaukee Bucks. Number two, the Phoenix Suns. Number three, the Miami Heat. Number four, the Utah Jazz. Uh, number five, the Toronto Raptors. Number six, the Chicago Bulls. Number seven, the New Orleans Pelicans. Number eight, the Dallas Mavericks. All right. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. Uh, Patrick DeMar here bringing on a couple friends of mine uh, to talk some baseball. We got Jason Selikoff and Paul Kachak. Uh, Paul currently in travel mode heading down to – you're heading down to Maryland, you said, from, from Boston, right? Is this a July 4th trip? That's correct, yeah, July 4th trip to Ocean City. Ocean City, Maryland. 
Where does that fake ocean city? Isn't there an ocean city in New Jersey too? Yes, sir. There's probably an ocean city in every state that uh, borders the ocean. I would bet. Yeah, seems like a real thing, I guess. Um, Jason is a resident uh, Yankees fan. Paul hails from the great state of Pennsylvania, originally a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. Uh, even though I'm wearing this retro Astros jersey at the moment, I'm a member of Red Sox Nation. Very proud of it as well. Uh, Red Sox are on an off day at the moment. We got Yankees Astros on the TV to my left. Jason, man. I'll be honest. I I really would love to bring you on and talk a whole bunch of shit about your team and tell you I hate you and that the Yankees are terrible, but they're kind of tearing it up right now. Um, Just taking a look at the standings, uh, league leading 56 wins. The next closest, uh, believe it or not, uh, the Astros 47 and 27, and then the Mets are at 47 and 29. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the Mets later, but the Yankees, I mean, it really seems like the last few years, you guys have had these off seasons going into it where it's like, oh, we're going to sign Harper. We're going to sign uh, uh, Cole, which you guys did end up getting Cole. And then who was it? Uh, uh, it was, was it Freeman that you guys were really trying to be in on last year? But it seems like Machado, every Machado, it's like every big free agent class, you guys are saying, oh, we're going to get this guy. We're going to get this guy. And outside of Cole, it really – didn't work out. There was the two big moves you guys had in the last what handful of years was trading for Stanton and then bringing in Garrett Cole. And then I feels like this year Cashman finally kind of has done some of the work in like the lesser pieces, bringing in the arms that you need to have rotation and bullpen depth. And then some of the minor, more like impact positional players too. Donaldson's a great pickup. Uh, Kiner Falefa has been huge coming from the Rangers. He used to kill the Red Sox too when he was in Texas. Felt like every single time we played the Rangers, he was having multi-hit games or stealing bases or throwing guys out from behind the plate. But he plays short and third, and I think a little outfield as well for you guys, right? He just plays short, but he's he's caught he's played third in the past, but he's just our shortstop right now. Yeah, and of course you can't talk about the Yankees without talking about Aaron Judge and all the stuff he's doing. He's on pace for close to a 70 home run season. He had his what 29th yesterday. Yep. That's 29. pretty, that's pretty absurd just by itself. It's contract year for him. Say what you want about that. My reasoning for bringing you onto the podcast and for wanting to talk to you about this. I remember in 2018 when the Red Sox had their records setting year for franchise record setting year, at least I think they had, uh, I forget how many wins exactly it was in the regular season, but they won the World Series that year. Well, yeah, 108. And I ended up going to a decent amount of games that year, that summer. I, every single game I went to, we won. Tuned into a whole bunch of games that season, and I remember having a thought at some point in the middle of the year, this is probably the best, at least regular season team I've seen for the Red Sox. They ended up winning the World Series that year. Has that thought crossed your mind at all? with this Yankees team? Cause you've seen a decent amount of the, Yan- you've seen some good Yankees teams, whether it be from that 09 team that won the world series to the teams in the early two thousands. And even some of the teams from the last handful of years with the core of uh, LeMahieu and, and Stanton and judge and, and mixing Garrett Cole in there has had some great teams, but I'll, I'll give the floor to you. What do you, what are you thinking? Uh, I think from a, talent standpoint i don't think they're the most talented team i've seen in my lifetime uh 
my lifetime, meaning probably since like 03 was the first team I could really remember. Yeah. Um, the 03, 04, 09, those teams are probably more talented top to bottom from this team. I, I would, mean, yeah, that 09 team with Cano, Teixeira, A-Rod, Jeter, that's, I mean, you could argue that's an infield full of Hall, Hall of Famers right there. Posada was still playing then too, right? Or was that McCann? Posada, yep, Posada, Pettit, Sabathia, Rivera. <laughs> Rivera was 39 years old. He had a 1-7 ERA, I think, I mean, that year. So yeah, I mean, I mean, that's like nine. Top to bottom, they probably had six, seven, possibly eight Hall of Famers. Right. Again, there, there could be a few on this team right now, but it's too early to tell. Um, but I think so far you can't really argue that they're the best team top to bottom, but talent-wise, I think those other teams trump this one. So, mm. um, But we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think the two things that scare me are our health and uh, also experience. I think the only two guys who have played in the World Series are Chapman and Rizzo. Right. So you, you take those two guys away. And, I mean, yes, Judge is played in the playoffs, um, but he's never been in the World Series. So we'll, we'll see what happens. If I were a Yankees fan, I, I would be more scared of – what Aaron Boone does to maybe screw all this up. I mean, he's been, that's, that's, that's from an outsider's perspective. Sure. But I, I've felt multiple times the last few years, especially in playoff scenarios that um, he could have maybe handled things a little bit better. Now at, at the same time, you know, it's, he's not the one out there at the plate or making the plays in the field. So he, he can't go out there and pitch a pitch a gem in a playoff game for Garrett Cole. You know what I'm saying? It's that, that, but that Dell is still tie into it. I mean, like you're thinking, what's your thought process going ahead into the second half of the season? Just trying to, to make sure that this group kind of keeps the status quo. Yeah. I mean, I've never been the biggest fan of Boone, but I'm also not the biggest hater of Boone by any means. Are you like kind of in the middle? You're not an apologist, but you're not a fan really. um, Like, I'm kind of in the middle more towards giving him a chance and becoming a fan. I mean, mm. he's been with the team for, I think this is his fourth or fifth year and he's had one of the best winning percentages basically ever as a first four or five years as a manager. Right. I know they haven't gone super deep in certain playoffs, but I mean, I think it's the people above him and the analytics team that kind of, at least the first few years told him everything what to do. So I wouldn't know. I wouldn't consider all of that his fault mm. in the first few years. Um, I think kind of the biggest differences between this year and the other years are, I mean, Rizzo from a clubhouse guy, from a just professional standpoint, he's kind of rubbed off on Judge Stanton. I mean, all these other guys and the pitching coach, Matt Blake. I mean, he's been, he basically came from a nobody working a nine to five job and he's probably the best pitching coach in the all of MLB. Yeah. What's I, we were, this came up in our group chat like a week or two ago. What's the story with him? Wasn't he like, coaching high school ball or like selling yeah, insurance was, or something a couple was, years yeah, I was listening to a podcast with him and he I think he pitched for like a year or two I think at Northeastern up in up in yeah. Boston and he was like a lefty reliever who threw like 81 82 <laughs> and didn't really have any anywhere to go and I, I think he, like you said he was doing insurance or something and right. all of a sudden became arguably a top three pitching coach in the MLB I mean what he's done with Kyone Cortez Severino coming back from injury, Montgomery, Clay Holmes, Clay Holmes, Michael King. I mean, all these guys are the only guy who had the talent. Severino, yes, but he's been coming off of injury. But I mean, Cole had all the talent, right? So it's it's kind of amazing what he's done with everybody else. 
And now, Paul, I want to flip it to you because you're actually living in Boston full time. So you're you've gone to a handful of Red Sox games this year. You're in the city kind of picking up the vibes. I'm a Red Sox fan, but I, I sort of have this outsider's perspective because I'm located in South Carolina. I can't really get a pulse for things are in the city. What's the the hatred or, or worry level from Red Sox fans about the Yankees? Is it something that people are talking about or is it more so just like at the moment, we're just happy to be back in the wild card conversation. We'll worry about those guys later. Uh, well, real quickly before I get into that, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this organization is very happy to have gifted uh, the Yankees with Jameson Tyone, Garrett Cole, and uh, <laughs> home. So I just to throw that out there. When can uh, we officially make the Pittsburgh Pirates the AAA or the AAA branch of the New York Yankees organization? I mean, Hoy Park's doing pretty pretty good things for you guys. <laughs> two, I think he's got two home runs. He's batting two twenty four, sixty points higher than Joey Gallo. So. No, yeah, I think that we've already reached the point where we're the AAA uh, farm system for the Yankees. But um, getting to your point, Demar, um, the polls in Boston is really now just switching to the Red Sox. Really, with the Celtics run. Right. The NBA Finals, that was largely the focus. And, uh, a little bit on the Bruins as well. They got knocked out pretty early. But um, the city, I think, is still recovering from the Celtics a little bit. So Definitely. I wouldn't say that too much worry and focus has shifted to the Yankees yet. I, I think that now people are getting excited that the Red Sox have been playing pretty good baseball of late. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what their record has been over the past month or so. But I do know, I think they've rattled off maybe 10 or 11 in a row or, or 10 of 11 something like that uh, semi-recently. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talent on that team. I have you know, been to a, a good amount of games since I moved up there a little over a year ago. Um, you know, the story, Bogart, um, Chris Dale, not even back yet. He was just in a rehab start recently. So um, I don't think that there's too much worry yet. We'll see. Uh, you know, Jason alluded to health. That is always a huge factor with, with baseball for any team. Um, I think that we'll, we'll kind of get a pulse on that question, you know, mid to late August, if the Yankees are still kind of on the pace that they are now. Um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough because then you know that Boston and really any team in the AL playoffs, you're going to have to go into the Bronx to uh, to win and, and move on to the, to the World Series. So we'll see. I, I think that that division is very very tough. I, I really could see any of those three teams, big three, uh, Toronto, Boston. Winning the American League, so I think that all of that's going to get hashed out as we go forward. For sure. Uh, to your point, by the way, the Red Sox twenty and six in the month of June, a twenty and six record in the month of June, best in baseball during that span. Um, still a long way to go. Best, in baseball? Uh, best record in baseball during June, Boston Red Sox twenty and six. I think, I think Yanks had twenty two wins. I could be wrong. Let me check. I, I want to I double check this now. So friendly rivalry. See, this is where I brought you on, Jason, because I knew that you would check me if I tried to just. But they did just lose today, so that might have. Uh, no, the Red Sox didn't play today. Yankees are still on. No, Yankees, Yankees lost. I thought this game. Oh, did it just end? Just now? Yeah, it just ended. According yeah. to StatMuse.com, Yankees are 22-5. and five. So then, yes, but, the, the Yankees now- would have uh, – what a one and a half game advantage over the Sox in the month of June, basically. So one because they lost today, but yep. Yeah, gotta, that's gotta that's keep a, you in check. That's a crazy pace to keep up, and you can't. You mentioned the Blue Jays as well, Paul, but you still can't forget about the Rays because even the Rays are in there. I mean, the 
the Blue Jays and the Red Sox are separated by a half game in the standings, and then Tampa Bay is two games behind the Red Sox. So it's, I mean, it's right now it's the Yankees division to lose. And I was talking to my dad on the phone today. I basically told him, I think the Yankees probably hold on to this unless there's either a multiple injuries to the team or they just go on several crazy cold streaks. I like you can make up 13 games and what is it? Uh, we still have 80 something, probably 90 ish games to play in the season. What we're 76 games in at the moment. So yeah, that's 86 games left. Right. Yeah. I think math God. Yeah. Math, math legend over here. Um, so that's plenty of time to make up that ground. But at the same time, if the Yankees are going to be this consistent, I, I don't know. Um, moving on to the other side of the Big Apple, the New York Mets are leading the NL in wins. Jason, our resident non-New Yorker, New Yorker, not even a Mets fan. Um, is the Big Apple back? Is the Big Apple back to being the baseball capital of the U.S.? Mets are looking great. No DeGrom yet this year. Scherzer's barely played. Um I mean, their lineup's definitely a lot more complete than it was last year. Um, Alonzo's back to hitting balls out of the yard. Marte's having an all-star, all-star caliber season. Lindor isn't stinking up the joint and getting booed every home series. What's uh, what's the pulse of the Mets fan base, Jason, if you have one? Um, I mean, first of all, let me get this straight. Whatever – there's always people out there that say the Mets and Yankees are – Zero rivalry. There's no nothing between the teams. There's not in the same leagues, not in the same division. That's not true at all, is it? And in my opinion, from my experience, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. That's just simply not true. Majority of my friends growing up in high school, middle school, elementary school were Mets fans. Um, that just happened the way it was. And we always liked to talk shit to each other, uh, whoever was hotter at the time. Most of the time growing up, the Yankees were usually the better team, regardless of kind of the World Series outcomes. Um, but in terms of the Mets, I do think they're the best Mets team they've had in a long time, top to bottom. Uh, and I think it starts with kind of Buck Showalter and the two pitchers at the top. Um, but in my opinion, I had this from before the season started. I thought the two most complete teams in baseball were the Braves and Dodgers. Um, I thought the Braves could legitimately go back to back and I'm still picking them to win the NL East. Um, I think they are three or four games out right now, which they did make up a lot of ground. So I can give you that. I think the Mets, I think the Mets do get in the playoffs. Um, but I do think the Braves take that division. I just think from the lineup, the bullpen, um, the experience, everything top to bottom, I think they're the, the better team. So we'll see what happens. Also, I mean, DeGrom's obviously the best pitcher on the planet, but he's never healthy. And Scherzer, as well as another top five, arguably even higher than that. But again, he's 38 years old, whatever he is. So we'll kind yeah. of see how, how healthy they actually stay throughout the year. Paul, you want to chime in here? Your, your, your uh, Pirates are beating the Brewers 7-4 uh, to four in the bottom of the seventh right now. Third place Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, nice. I, uh, when I uh, hopped onto this call, it was five to three. So I was expecting the score update to be like seven to five Brewers or something like that. Next <laughs> so that's, oh. a, that's a pleasant. No, you're um, keeping it together right now. The National League is, I, I think that there are a couple really good teams. It's hard to not say that the Mets are the best right now. But in my opinion, as a guy who's watched a, a lot of National League bat, uh, baseball, primarily National League baseball, 
I still think the National League will always has for the past 10 years go through long um, and that's where I'm inclined to go with right now still like if I had to you know place a bet on who I think would be the National League representative I'm still going to go with with LA uh, but what the Mets are doing is extremely impressive as, as Jason alluded to without Scherzer and Rob uh, it's going to be really interesting the Braves are nipping at their heels they're playing better baseball I mean on paper the Mets you know should be by far and away uh, better team than they are right now but you know, the, the Braves are not the best team in Major League Baseball last year by any stretch. They found a way to win the World Series. So we can never really count them out. Um, and then I do have to throw a little bit of love to a National League Central team. But I think the St. Louis Cardinals are a real threat this year, the way Paul Goldschmidt's swinging the bat. So um, I don't know if there's any team that's as good as the Yankees right now. And I think the American League might have a little bit more depth. But um, there's some top-heavy teams in the National League where it, it's just too tough for me to call. I, I still have to lean with the uh, earlier you mentioned standings, uh, the Mets, um, 47, 29 in the NL East. The Braves are three and a half games back at 44 and 33. Uh, the Braves are also in second place for the NL wildcard. Uh, at the moment, the Padres have a lead uh, for the wildcard there. They're a game and a half back of the Dodgers in their division. And then the Cardinals are in second place to the Brewers right now. Uh, Brewers, 44 and 33. They've got a game and a half up on St. Louis. I I'm I've got the world series odds right here in front of me. Uh, these are courtesy of FanDuel from earlier today. Um, Yankees have the best odds at plus 400. Uh, the Dodgers are next at plus 450. And then it's Houston at plus 600 and the Mets at plus 700. That's kind of the first tier of uh, odds lists. After that, you have the Braves, Blue Jays, and Padres all at plus 1,300. Uh, the Brewers at plus 1,800. The Cardinals at plus 2,800. Giants and Rays at plus are, uh, plus 3,000. And then you have the Red Sox, White Sox, Twins, Phillies, Guardians, Angels, so on and so on. It kind of gets worse from there. Um, the one team that I'm looking at just from that list, and I, I do think that maybe the AL has slightly more depth to it um but only really in the al east if i'm looking across the other divisions in the nl the cardinals have a great squad the brewers actually do have a great squad and they're still not really getting the best out of christian yelich if he can figure it out if he can put together a season or a second half like he had a couple years ago they can be a real threat um the dodgers of course you don't even really need to talk about them we all know how good they are and how good they can be um, I am really interested to see how the Padres do for the rest of the year, because you remember last year they made that move for, uh, they brought in Clevenger, um, and that was big at the time. And then he gets out ruled out for the rest of the year with what was it TJ that he had or, or something that ruled him out. Now he's back. He's been pitching pretty well for them this year. Machado is having an all-star caliber season, maybe even an MVP level season. I mean, he's having a great year. And Tatis still isn't there yet. So they're going to be getting him back sometime after the All-Star break. I don't remember when exactly. Um, they're going to be tough in that Dodgers division. I think that, you know, some of those games that we saw between those teams last year that everybody was tuning in for, we're going to see more of those at the end of the year this year. I wouldn't be surprised if if maybe it came down to those two teams um, for the NL crown. But I, I'd be hard-pressed to, to say – it's not going to be 
a great year for the Yankees, just as it looks right now. Uh, it's tough to say it, but it's it's just the truth. The Astros, you know, they've been the team to go through in the AL for a few years, and I think that still holds up. But I don't know if they really have the same. I feel like losing Correa is a difference maker for them. I know they've got the um, what's his name Diaz, the shortstop, the kid that's playing really really well. Pena. Pena, that's Pena. right. Yeah, he's been. He's been incredible this year. He'll probably win rookie of the year in the AL. Um, but I think, you know, they had that core of Springer and Correa, and now you still have Altuve and Bregman there, and Alvarez is fantastic. Brantley, Tucker, they've got so many great players. Um, but I feel like come postseason time, that will make a little bit of a difference. You have to have new guys step up and, and, um, have those big moments that those guys used to have. Somebody's got to be the new guy. And last year they lost the World Series. They didn't win it. Atlanta won. And you know, who's to say what happens this year? I think the AL AL race will be interesting, but I think it'll be more interesting on the NL side. I, I feel like if it was anybody besides the Astros and the Yankees in the ALCS this year, I'd kind of be shocked. Um I mean maybe, maybe my Red Sox put some moves together. Maybe the Blue Jays keep this up. I feel like the Blue Jays have some holes in their roster, honestly, where maybe they make some moves at the deadline to have some more consistency. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, moving on. We're going to hit a couple more things on here. Um, do you guys want to take a little break first and dive back in, or do you want to go straight into All-Stars? What do you think? I'm good. Yeah, Paul? Well, yeah. Keep it rolling. All right. Let's keep it rolling then. Um, All-Star finalists were announced earlier today. The fan voting portion of the All-Star uh, balloting period ended earlier this afternoon. Uh, MLB.com released the finalists for each position. Um, I was taking a look at these. I was kind of making my All-Star ballot um, earlier today and then realized that they were closing the balloting, so I didn't actually submit one. Uh, but looking at the finalists, I feel like we can vote. We can all three of us kind of just take a look at each one and sort of give our our piece to. We'll do like a lightning round. How about this, where we um, kind of decide we well, I'll list the names, then you two give your choices for which guy you would take, and then I'll chime in with mine as well. Um, so we'll start with. Give me one moment. I'm pulling these up. We'll start with the. We'll start with the AL. We'll start at catcher. Uh, Alejandro Kirk is the first finalist. Alejandro Kirk of the Toronto Blue Jays. And then the second finalist of the New York Yankees, the aforementioned New York Yankees, Jose Trevino. Uh, Trevino, that's that's a name you're not really used to hearing in, in the all-star conversations, neither for Kirk, uh, for that matter. Um, Kirk's actually had a great year. In Toronto, though, uh, I was kind of looking at his numbers earlier. Um, at the moment, he's hitting over 300. He's got an OPS over 900, double-digit homers, 30 RBIs. It's not easy to do from the catcher's position. Um, I feel like Salvador Perez with the season he had last year kind of spoiled us. Uh, what do you fellas think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely Kirk out of the two. Uh, I do think Trevino's defense is much, much better. and I think he has the best uh, – 
ERA among any catchers in the league, but I mean, Kirk's numbers at 900 plus OPS from the catching position. Right. Uh, Got to give it, give the nod to him there. Paul, any, uh, any uh, controversy or um, no, I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any controversy. I, I, I don't watch quite as much American League baseball, I think, as you guys. Uh, so I'm not as versed in, you know, who ideally is best catcher. But, I mean, based on the stats you guys threw out there, I would tend to agree. I, I, it's just refreshing to me that Self-Press did not win another All-Star vote because it seemed like that guy – I mean, he's a phenomenal catcher, which he did last year was unreal. But it seemed like that guy was the – the number one vote like five or six years straight. He's probably the best catcher of, of this past decade. I would say like he's up there. Posey's up there, but Posey didn't play quite as many games. I think that would be maybe a difference maker. Posey has two more rings or maybe just one more ring in the last 10 years than Salvi. I I, I need to go and double check. Um, I know Posey has three, but I think one of them fell in 2011, which would have been uh, whatever. Um, NL catchers. You better hope that uh, no St. Louis fans are listening to this. I, <laughs> I can't out of here, Molina, but they would they would be uh, quite pissed off for you not throwing his name out there. Absolutely, no. He's got to be in that conversation too. Um, he's got to be. It would be disrespectful not to not to put his name in there. Um, on the NL side, Wilson Contreras and Travis Darno are the finalists for the catcher position. This has got to be Wilson's year. I mean, he's been incredible. He's getting thrown around in trade discussions a lot right now because the Cubs have been awful. Uh, the Red Sox start a three-game series with them in Chicago tomorrow, by the way. Um, I mean, very similar numbers to Kirk's, a little bit better, perhaps. Um, any disagreements from you two? Nope, I think it's Wilson. Oh, yeah. That is a guy I've, I've, I've seen a, a good amount of with the Cubs being in the Pirates division. I can completely agree there. And he right. is, his dates are numbered in Chicago. That is for sure. Absolutely. Um, we've got first baseman for the AL. Uh, I have Mr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Ty France from the Seattle Mariners. France has actually put together a good year despite the Mariners not having the year that some thought they would. Um, but nothing compares to, to his numbers don't compare to what Vlad's doing right now. And Vlad isn't really having, I mean, I don't want to say a Vlad, a not Vlad standard year. He only has a couple years in the big leagues. Um, and he's still hitting pretty incredibly right now, but it's not quite as dominant as it was last year. Yeah. I mean, I think there's other first baseman you can throw in the mix, but it's probably Vlad right now. I mean, Abreu, Rizzo, they're, yep. they're still having good years, but probably Gladys. I was actually surprised not to see um, either Rizzo or Abreu in that um, among the finalists for first baseman. France, France was an interesting kind of jump for that. Um, NL first baseman, Paul Goldschmidt of the St. Louis Cardinals and Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets. I actually think this will be the closest race among um, – National League positions because Alonzo, Paul, you you had a stat about this earlier. Um, Alonzo is tied for the NL lead in homers at the moment and has more RBIs than anybody in the majors. Whereas Goldschmidt uh, is having a pretty incredible year as well. He's leading the league in hitting on base percentage. He's leading the NL in slugging and an OPS. So these guys, I I'm very interested to see what kind of season these two guys have for the rest of the year, because you could very well see them matching up in a playoff series as well. Somewhere down the stretch. 
Yeah, the, those guys, I mean, you can flip a coin. I mean, I, you can't get mad one way or the other um, between them. I, I, I think Goldschmidt kind of deserves it with his average this year, but, I mean, I don't know. You know, you, you don't make a wrong choice when you choose between those guys with the years they're having. I'm pretty sure Goldschmidt was leading the NL in most of the offensive statistical categories a couple of weeks ago. I think he was in the lead for homers, RBIs, and average at one point this year. Pete, uh, Pete I, I did just look this up. Pete passed him in RBIs recently, but he's, uh, Goldschmidt's average is, is leading all of the majors right now. Right. Yeah, he's, he's got to be your choice at first. Uh, really, if it, went, if it went across leagues, he would probably top Vladdy for me as well at the moment. Yeah. Um, AL second baseman, uh, Jose Altuve, who's having a phenomenal year, and Santiago Espinal of the Toronto Blue Jays. A lot of Blue Jays vote-getters on this list. They've got, a, of course, all of Canada voting for them in, in the fan department, so I think that maybe helps uh, a little bit. Um, but Altuve, he's already a seven-time All-Star and four-time starter, uh, but he hasn't been a starter for the AL since, like, 2018. So I think he's going to be back there in that starting lineup again this year. He's hitting – uh, what's his numbers right now? He's got, um, he's got an average at only 264, but he's popped 15 homers. Um, he's been hitting right at the top of the lineup for the Astros as well. Yeah, I probably have Altuve up there, not not by a crazy amount. Um, I mean, Espinal defensively is unreal. He's got 10 more RBIs, but mm. probably Altuve. I'd also love to see the uh, ovation he gets in LA. So. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. That's for sure. Um, on the NL side, this is one that I'm I'm going to be somewhat passionate about. You've got Ozzy Albies and Jazz Chisholm Jr. as the NL finalists uh, for second baseman. Albies is having um, they're actually pretty close. Um, somewhat, Ab- Albies has the Braves fan base voting for him chisholm's having a hell of a year at the plate though 14 homers 45 rbis 860 ops he steals bases he's got flair he's got jazz not just in his name but also in his play style i want jazz chisholm jr to be the next uh crop of guys like tatis shohei vlad he's one of my favorite players to watch because of the attitude and the spirit he has when he plays i always find myself tuning into marlins games just to watch him and i don't give a shit about miami or the marlins he's just so fun he's he deserves to be in the all-star game i think yeah i agree with that i mean second base is actually pretty interesting in the national league you got jeff mcneil and again i'm not the biggest yeah. fan but he definitely deserves to be mentioned i think he's batting like 310 315 um and then another name i mean Nolan Gorman, he kind of just came onto the scene too. I don't think he's an all-star yet, but he kind of forced Tommy Edmund to move over to short, but mm. Edmund probably would have been it if he stayed at second. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there with Jazz. I remember when the Cardinals traded for Nolan Arenado, thinking it was incredible they held on to Gorman, who was, I think, their highest rated prospect at the time. Um, having... Those two Nolans and Edmund and Goldschmidt in their infield for the next however many years, that's they're going to be around. They're going to be a problem, I think, for a bit. Um, Paul, any thoughts on Jazz Chisholm Jr.? Uh, I mean, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I mean, he's got a lot of flair um, in his game and off the field. I mean, I'm not a Twitter guy, but I, I know he's pretty active on Twitter. 
kind of in some, some jives back and forth with some guys I've seen, you know, some screenshots and whatnot. Um, I got no problem with him being the uh, being the second base representative for the National League. And I, I do think you made a good point. Like, I do think he is um, entering this wave if he's not already. A, a, you know, this guy, like I said, got a lot of flair, you know, Tatis is kind of a good comp in the sense, you know, Tatis, uh, I, I can't help but remember, you know, when he put the, uh, his hand over the eye when he hit the ball off of Trevor Bauer, like that's, that's the type of stuff that you get from Jazz Chisholm. Um, it brings, that brings fans into, you know, to watch the MLB that maybe not aren't huge MLB fans. I mean, you alluded to it yourself. You're not a Marlins fan. You have no tie, but you know, you like tuning in into their games to see him play. So if he gets older and, and, um, you know, has more years under his belt in the MLB, I think he's going to become more and more of that guy that can can draw your average Joe into watching a baseball game, which is always good for his kids. Third base in the American League. Um, this is another really close one. Our two finalists are Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Guardians and Rafael Devers of the Boston Red Sox. I have a little bias in here. I'm just going to let – here's what I'm going to play. I'm going to play a little game with you two. I'm going to read you the statistics for both of these players. I'm not going to tell you which player holds which statistics. And I want you two to tell me who should get the all-star nod. So player one stat line in 299 at bats this year, he has 98 hits, 17 homers, 45 RBIs with an average of 328 and an OPS of 979. That's player one. I know I just, Ran a lot of numbers, so if you need me to go back over them after this, I will. So, player one again, 98 hits, 17 homers, 45 RBIs, 328 average, 979 OPS. Player two, 80 hits and 270 at-bats, uh, 16 homers, 63 RBIs, a 296 average, and a 977 OPS. The OPSs are two points apart. Uh, player one has a lead in the hitting category by about 30 points. But player two has almost 20 more RBIs. Um, player one's played a few more games, has some more hits under his belt. Player one or player two? Paul, I'm pushing it to you first. Um, I mean, I'm going to probably defer to player two there because of the, the gap in RBIs. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head uh, the gap in average there, but home runs for 17 and 16, so I consider that basically a wash. And then I'm always going to look who's going to be driving in runs. Um, so I'll go with player two because of that, that statistic. Jason, how about you? I definitely know which player is which player because I'm a little bit of a nerd, but I would <laughs> definitely say uh, two categories you did not mention at all are defense and stolen bases and player two, which is Jose Ramirez, absolutely kills Devers in that. Uh, Devers is getting better defensively. He's still not a great third baseman. And Ramirez on the base pass, he might not look like a great base dealer, but uh, he can definitely move for his size. Um, and I think he means more to the Guardian's success right now um, than Devers does to the Red Sox. Um, but it, again, it is a coin flip, but I would go. This is going to crush me. Against you there. <laughs> well, this is going to crush me, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, the Guardians are um, at the moment – um, I think it's a game out of first place in the AL Central, and that has a lot to do with what Jose Ramirez is doing. Um, he has 12 stolen bases on the year to Rafael Devers, too. Um, average just under 300, 63 RBIs are, are near the top 
of the AL League. Um, he's a five-tool player. He is. He has been. And he's kind of gone under the radar of other great third basemen in the league like Arenado and, and Machado. And uh, you can throw in Matt Chapman in there if you want. Um, and he's kind of putting his name on the map this year. I think it's a contract year for him, too. Um, and, you know, Devers, God bless him. He's one of the best hitters in the AL. He's hitting the cover off the ball. He's been really hot recently. Uh, I think some of the RBI difference has to do with uh, Cleveland having more guys getting on ahead of um, of Ramirez versus Devers. Devers hits in the two hole in Boston. Uh, Ramirez hits third for the Indians. So there's, there is like a little bit of a gap there, but at the same time, I am going to have to join y'all in saying it's Jose Ramirez. It, it has to be. It crushes me because I love Devers and I want him to be in Boston for forever. But I'll uh, I'll be unbiased here. I'll be unbiased. In my opinion, that one is closer than the uh, NL first baseman. But I think you're right. I think you're definitely right. Goldschmidt should win that first base race. Um, yep. Third base in the NL, uh, Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado. Um, two marquee names at the position, two guys that are going to be duking it out um, over there in the NL for this spot for a few more years at the very least. Um, Machado hitting 328 with 12 homers, 46 RBIs, and OPS at 945. Uh, and then Arenado, you know what kind of defense he's bringing. He's got 14 homers, 49 RBIs, um, hitting right around 280. Um, pretty similar numbers offensively, both incredible players defensively. Um, Machado is getting on base a little bit more at the moment. He's getting on base 40% of the time. Um, does Machado get the edge here? I think it's kind of close again. It's almost like take your pick, pick your poison. Uh, maybe Arenado is slightly more popular with fans or less hated. I should say. Um, I think, I think I would probably choose Machado in this though. Yeah, I, I gotta agree there. Um, I mean, the, the RBIs and home runs are pretty similar in the, so the average is a big gap for me there. Um, Arenado, I mean, and, you know, they're both extremely strong defensively. Um, Arenado might have a little bit of edge in defense. But I, I don't know their feeling percentages this year off the top of my head, but, I mean, Arenado's a platinum club winner. Uh, and so, I, but this year, I think Machado hit 328. I mean, that's, that's pretty special what he's doing this year. So, for, for me, it is close, but I, I would discernibly say Manny Machado. Any uh, any objections, Jason? No, nope, I think it's Machado. I mean, the only thing I would say is he's been a little hurt the last few weeks, but, I mean, first month, month and a half, he was batting close to 400. And, I mean, I don't think it's too much of a hot take to say that if these guys stay healthy, they both could be future Hall of Famers. So, really strong position there. For sure. Um, I'm going to stick in the NL with our next position. We're going to jump to shortstop. Um, our finalists are Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson. Um, I think Turner probably wins this, but Swanson has a decent argument for it. Um, Swanson's hitting. No, it's Trey Turner. I, I can't, I can't in good conscience really make an argument for him actually. And, and actually looking at the numbers, Turner has eight more hits. He has two less homers but he has 13 more RBIs. He has four more stolen bases. 
He's got 17 points of average over Dansby. Their OBPs are almost identical. Their OPSs are pretty similar. Um, again, it's it's almost like pick your poison. Maybe stolen bases and, and RBIs make the difference. Um, but both are having great years. I also, I just want to say, I love that Dansby Swanson's finally hitting his stride. When he first came into the league, he struggled a little bit at the plate. And it seems like he's now kind of started to figure it out. We'll see if that um, lasts uh, with this year and beyond. Yeah. Contract year. That's true. He could be playing outside of Atlanta next year, but I've been a big fan of his game for a while. I'm glad that he's having a good year. Um, I'd probably go with Turner for the all-star nod though. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you took the words out of my mouth there. I mean, Dan speed, number one overall pick who I really think has never lived up to that. Um, And from what I remember from that draft year, he was a consensus number one too. Um, and it is good to see him start to really live up to that this year. He's been a solid player his whole career, but never a number one overall. And, uh, we're seeing his best right now, so that is great to see. For sure. Jason, you were going to hop in there too? No, I do think it's it's kind of maybe closer than uh, than the numbers kind of tell. I think Danby defensively is grading out a decent bit better than Turner so far this year. Although sure. Turner's great, great defensively. Um, the RBIs, Turner does bat third in that lineup most of the time, and Dansby's the leadoff hitter, so that kind of has some say there. Um, but, yeah, I think I think Turner probably gets the edge, not by too much, um, but I do love that Dansby's hitting the stride, especially because uh, Bregman likes to talk a lot of shit about that draft, so Bregman's, I think, batting about 230 this year, so that's, that's good to see for Dansby. Um, next up, we're going to shortstop in the AL. Um this this one, our finalists are Bo Bichette and Tim Anderson. Um, I'm going to make a case for Xander Bogarts here, just fully biased. I, I, I actually don't think this is really a biased opinion. Uh, he's having um, probably, I think you could look at some of the statistics with Bichette and say maybe Bichette's performing better, but I think across the board, Bogarts is, is having a better year. Um, I, I would give Anderson my nod for this position. Uh, so we'll start with him. Uh, Tim Anderson hitting 340 at the moment, hitting in the leadoff spot for the White Sox. Um, he was out for a little bit this year. He missed some time. Um, but I mean, I, and I've actually watched a decent amount of White Sox games recently. This guy plays with his hair on fire. I love the, the flair that he plays with, the attitude that he has. Um, he's only got five homers, 19 RBIs, but again, he has a 340 average. He's, he's got 10 stolen bases. He's got an OPS up around 830. Bichette, he's got an OPS at 720. He's hitting 250, but he's got 12 homers, 41 RBIs. And of course you got to factor in his defense. Um, this is the part where I talk about Xander Bogarts and 273 at bats this year. He has 89 hits more than both Bichette and Tim Anderson. He only has six home runs, which is the knock. He's got 31 RBIs, which you might not say is a lot, but it's only 10 less than Bichette. He's hitting at a 326 average, which is between Anderson and Bichette. Bichette's only getting on base 30% of the time. Bogart's getting on base almost 40% of the time. He's got a 397 OBP right now as opposed to Bichette's 299. And his OPS is at 866, which is higher than both Anderson and Bichette. Now, you can say what you want about Bogart's defense. He's not that great of a runner. But come on, man. Like, when, when's this guy going to get his respect as one of the best shortstops in the league and one of the best hitters in the league, too? I, I mean, what, what do we have to do? 
what do we have to do? Can you fellas help me yeah, out here I mean, or for royally I, disagree? Uh, obviously, as a lifelong Yankee fan, I'm even going to say it. I don't really think it's close, and I think it's ridiculous, and this is going to fund the stupid fan voting. Pachette shouldn't even be in the top three, let alone number one. Um, I would have Xander above Tim Anderson as well. Um, I mean, I know he only has six home runs, but he uses that wall as much as anybody and probably has 22, 23 doubles in the year, whatever he has. So, I mean, his slugging percentage is still there. Um, and I think, I think not only is he getting disrespected across the league, but even by his own team, I mean, they're offering him 15, 20 mil a year when he probably realistically could be getting high twenties, if not 30 a year for the next six to eight, maybe 10 years. So. That one hit me in the chest, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong, man. If we if we kept him in Boston, ideal scenario, give him give him five, six years. Six year deal. Have it so that it have it front loaded, in my opinion. Reward him for his success now. Give him maybe an opt out after year four or something if he wants to try to get more money, but pay the freaking man. It, like you you put him in Boston for another six years, he could give you another ring, maybe two and if he does that, he's probably noted as one of the three or four greatest Red Sox of all time. If, if he does opinion, that, that's an if. You said he's not great defensively, and that's kind of not a secret at this point, but he's not terrible. He just doesn't have that much range. Anybody in Fenway could play the left field. I mean, Manny Ramirez did it for a number <laughs> of years. I mean, you throw him in left field, they haven't had a good first baseman in, in how long. He could play either of those two positions in the they, latter half of his contract. So, If they move him, I think it would be more likely that they move him to third and push Devers across the diamond to first. So Bogarts actually broke into the big leagues as a third baseman. He played there in 2013 when the Sox World the Series, won the World Series. Some people have said to flip him and Story, put Story at short and Bogarts at second. But right now, I know Story's not having a great offensive year. Story is, Alex Cordes said the other day, I think he's probably the best defensive second baseman in baseball right now. And watching them play, he's making plays at second base. I, I haven't seen people make it Fenway since Pedroia, and he's even outdoing Pedroia a little bit. It's pretty incredible. But besides the point, Paul, do you have any arguments as to why why the hell isn't Xander Bogarts an all-star finalist in the AL? Tell me, Paul. Um, well, I think it's mainly because, like you kind of alluded to, the uh, the Blue Jays fans seem to be really getting out there and voting. So I think, like I, I personally think Tim Anderson belongs as the uh, the finalist, but um, I'd agree. Why like Bo is second? I think is why like our I, I do not like the the voting system for the All Star game. That never really jived with me. It doesn't make sense. Like it's just going to be like the bigger market teams or the team that's having a better year, like they're just going to vote for that player. So that I, I think is your most in a nutshell type answer for why Bogarts is not um, one of the top two finalists. Um, I, you know, I think you can certainly make an argument for him. I, I probably myself would put Bogarts, you know, above Bichette um, as well. I, I see Bogarts play a little bit more like he's mentioned earlier in the podcast. I've been to a couple of Red Sox games. I do really enjoy going to Fenway and he is an electric player. So, I mean, I got no problem putting him there above Bichette. I think it's just, you know, the voters vote. I mean, it's the system that we've had ever since I can remember, but it's not necessarily something I agree with. Well, they did change it a couple of years ago. The finalists thing is pretty new, if I'm not mistaken. It used to just, they would just do the fan vote until a certain day and then they would cap it and then they would have the 
an additional fan vote for the last spot on the bench or something. And the managers would fill out the rest, but up, I think it was two or three years ago. It might be slightly longer. I think it was two or three years ago. They started um, the finalists thing where they had the fan vote and then you have the finalists and then you do another vote. I kind of like the idea, but I feel like they need to figure out a way to come up with some kind of algorithm that balances out fan votes and votes from players and coaches find a find a cohesive and legitimate way of mixing all three because yes it should be important you've got to reward what the fans want to see that's kind of the point of the all-star game and it always has been more so than rewarding the individual seasons that the guys have i think that those rewards come more so at the end of the year with like silver sluggers and gold gloves and that sort of thing i i would personally if i was playing in the big leagues i would rather win one of those awards then get an all-star vote because there's more um there's less of a fan i, I don't know you you get what i'm trying to say whereas uh, I, what's the fix for this do you jason you have any ideas paul you guys have anything for what we could do to make it different yeah i mean i don't know i've heard different people say maybe have like one or two reserve spots is strictly fan voting. So right. the Boba Shets of the world and not disrespecting him at all. He's a top five shortstop in the AL, but he's not a starter this year. We all know that, but maybe if fans want to get him or some other guys, I mean, votes have one or two reserve spots, but in my opinion, I think those reserve spots should be for guys that maybe it might be their last opportunity, like Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols. Yeah. Cause I'd like to see them get a kind of an honorary spot over a Bichette who is probably going to make six or seven more all-star games. So. The old Derek Jeter farewell tour. <laughs> exactly. When Wayne Wright yeah. put a 91 mile power fastball right down the middle. So. Right. Yeah. Right down the center. Uh, Paul, what's your, what's your all-star voting fix? If you got one, show I mean, me something. You, you, you kind of mentioned it. I mean, the players and coaches, I think should vote. And then I think that we should get like the, the beat writers and, and, and those guys in the, the guys who vote for the hall of fame, I think should also vote for the all-star game. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like if you, if you can vote for a hall of famer, if you have that, you know, power and that knowledge, you should, you should also be able to vote and uh, for the all-stars. So maybe, you know, maybe it's like you have a category for the players vote, you have a category for the coaches vote and you have a category for the beat writers, or maybe you mash them all together. And it's just, you know, simple, you know, the top three guys at, you know, based on those tally of votes, they, you know, they're the ones at that position, but I think you should involve the, the sports writers. Cause you know, they're the ones that cover everybody. And then, you know, the players know each other and, and the coaches obviously, you know, see these guys play on a daily basis. That makes more sense to me than, and bringing in the fans or anything like that, who are probably more centralized on their team. For sure. That's, that's flawed too, though, because we've seen it with the hall of fame voting. The writers don't always get it right. Sometimes these guys have their own agendas and personal biases. So what, what is the true middle ground? Is it more votes for, for players, for coaches or for like GMs or something? I I don't know. I don't know. I think what you kind of can do is, going off Paul's point and do like a 25% maybe with yeah like hold, like have writers. weighted votes basically yeah like players coaches slash front office writers and fans I mean that's why fans you can still get a say but you're not yeah. getting the whole say so I would love to to talk with someone inside the room working the all-star voting process see see what if any algorithms or weighting they actually use for voting because I bet they already do and we just don't know about it 
Um, we got some more positions that we got to get through. Um, I think the next one is probably the easiest. Um, AL outfielders, uh, we've got Aaron Judge, who by order of having the most votes among AL vote getters, uh, he already has his spot in the All-Star game locked in. Uh, he's having – he'd probably – I mean, I still think Shohei would get a good amount of MVP votes at the moment. We can talk about that a little bit later if we want, but Judge is having an insane year. He's He's got to be a starter. Trout's having a great year as well. He's one of the finalists. I don't see a world where he's not starting in an all-star game. And then the other three finalists for the outfield in the AL, uh, George Springer, Giancarlo Stanton, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Gurriel, um, not really a crazy year. Uh, at the moment, he's kind of got that Blue Jays fan base thing going for him again. Uh, four homers, 33 RBIs. He's not hitting 300. He, he doesn't have an OPS above 750. Uh, whereas Stanton is doing John Carlos Stanton things. He's got 19 homers, 52 RBIs. He's hitting the ball out of the yard. He's a huge reason why the Yankees are as good as they are right now. And then George Springer, who's been one of probably the offensive leader and table setter for the Blue Jays this year outside of Vlad. Uh, he's just as important to them winning games, if not more so. 15 homers, 36 RBIs. Uh, he's getting on base 34% of the time. Uh, I feel like really the only argument you have is whether you value the defense and uh, everything else that Springer brings versus Giancarlo Stanton just being Giancarlo Stanton. Um, I mean, the designated here, that's a whole – I feel like I know he doesn't play DH a lot. I would personally, I personally wish that you could throw Stanton as a DH in this list, but then Alvarez might beat him. So uh, it's really pick your poison. I would probably go with Springer over Stanton though for my for my pick for that last outfielder. Yeah, I mean, I would probably go Springer too, just as a more complete player. Yeah, um, one player that is kind of crazy that's not on there that I think is unbelievable from a lot of different aspects is Kyle Tucker. Yep. Um, dude does 10, 15 stolen bases. I mean, his OPS every year is 850 to 950. Yep. Um, I mean, lefty, great fielder. So he flies uh, under the radar too. He He's not really talked about really enough, I feel like. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him not on it. But, but yeah, I would go Springer probably as the third one. Paul, what you got? No, I think you guys hit the nail on the head with, uh, with those outfielders. I don't really have anything to add except for um, – ban the dh as a as a national league guy um that's that's about all i have to add <laughs> um we'll hop into the designated hitters for the al next i guess it's jordan alvarez and shohei otani uh otani isn't having the same year he had last year and alvarez is hitting the cover off the ball i think shohei is going to make the all-star game regardless and I, I wish that we could see him pitch and hit again this year we probably won't um it'll probably be alvarez hitting and then I think it's going to be either Shane McClanahan or Justin Verlander uh, starting on the mound for the AL. Um, but, dude, Jordan Alvarez, what, what, this guy terrifies me every time he's at the plate. First of all, he could probably turn me into a folding chair if he wanted. He's six foot five, 225 pounds. So he's only built like a defensive lineman. And then on top of that, he's hitting 316 with a 412 OBP, 23 homers, 56 RBIs. He's a, not just a power guy. He can drive the ball to all fields. 
I, I wish he got more conversation. I wish he was in the conversation more for one of the best hitters in baseball because he is. He's phenomenal, and he's going to be in Houston. I don't know how much team control he has left, but they're building that team around him. You can tell, especially with Correa getting a little – or uh, Altuve, excuse me, getting a little older. I think Bregman hits free agency in a couple of years. He's the best player on that Astros team, and it's not close. He just got a pretty decent deal. I think he got five or six years. Alvarez? Yeah, I think like one, like 25 a year or something like that, which is a decent amount for being 24 in DH. So he got an extension. I didn't know that. I think it was like six for 150, something like that. I'm trying to be wrong right now. But yeah, I mean, I think it's Alvarez too. And I think he's kind of like a modern day big poppy type hitter, except bigger and stronger, if that's even possible. So he's, I, that's, I mean, or you can kind of compare him to like a, a left handed. Frank Thomas, just with his size and presence. No, that's not even it. I see more Miggy in him because Pappy, while he had some years where he would hit 300 and and drive the ball to all fields, he had a lot of years where he would strike out a bunch. He just had big holes in his swing or it felt like he was trying to do nothing but hit homers. This guy Alvarez seems like he's never really trying to hit bombs. He just kind of accidentally does because of how good and how strong he is. Like Miggy, I remember in those triple crown years, it was like, it just seemed easy to him all the time. It, it was almost like he didn't even really have to try to swing. He could just put his bat there and the ball would just sort of end up somewhere and play on the grass. And Alvarez feels like the same thing to me every time I watch him hit, where it's just so damn easy for him. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't it's so impressive. Sense. He goes the opposite way, like so yeah. easy and yeah. so many left center home runs. I mean, that's why single... I, that's why I rejected the big Pappy comp because he was a dead pull hitter his whole career, yeah, even with the, even with the monster there. Yeah. And I mean, every at bat I've seen, I've watched a ton of Astros games, but I mean, even against the Yankees, better pitchers, he's eight, nine, 10 pitch at bats every time, even if he's not even getting a hit there, he's drawing walks, He's letting the guys behind him see pitches. So mm. it's pretty impressive for a 24 year old or however old, old he is. So um, next up, uh, we'll go to the the NLDH is a little bit weird because they don't they're putting Bryce Harper and Wilson uh, William Contreras in there the Braves catch uh, the Braves player Harper's hurt right now so I don't really know where that leads um, like maybe I I guess even if Harper wins depending on how long he's out for Contreras gets thrown in there regardless so we can we can skip that if you want unless y'all want to give Harper some do. I, I know he's I know Jason, you're not really a huge fan of Harper as a individual, I guess, but I've been a huge fan of him for a long time and he's having another great season. Yeah, I mean I've came around on on him. I do think he's he just plays with a lot of fire and passion. I mean, early on I think he kind of thought he was better than everybody in the league at the time when he wasn't, when he had some off years, but my whole thing was he came up and he was getting all the spotlight and this other guy named Mike Trout was coming up basically at the same time. And I didn't even think they were comparable players. Right. Looking back on it, I still don't think they're very comparable players while Harper could be an all time great tracks on a different level in my opinion. And you can disagree with me. No, you're not, you're not wrong. Single, you're not wrong. In every single category. I mean, Trout's just, he kind of sets the bar everywhere. So Again, I do think Harper's on track to, again, probably be a Hall of Famer. And, I mean, I think if he didn't get hurt, it's a landslide with him at DH. So, uh, Paul, any love for uh, Bryce Harper? Yeah, I mean, I think he, he earned it. Um, Damar, I have a question for you. For the DH, 
voting or the DH, you know, whatever you want to call it, do they, they're not just strictly pulling from like hitters who are registered as DHs, right? Like it's just that's like what they're, kind of, that's what they're just, mainly doing. I think you have to register a certain amount of games played as a DH. I think. Oh, do you really? Cause I'm pretty I, sure. I would have thought, I mean, I, I guess my inclination was wrong. I would have thought that they would have just kind of chosen like the next best hitter that wasn't a starter, you know? No, because like, Harper has been playing most of this year with a torn UCL. So he actually has been yeah. DHing most of the time. Um, hey, Paul. Hey, Paul, really quick. Michael Perez, three home runs tonight. Second straight my, night for a bucko with three home runs. Michael <laughs> Perez with three bombs, huh? Yeah. That is certainly not something that you see every day. What's the score? Eight to six but. Pirates, top of the ninth, <laughs> two outs. Brewers have the tying run on first at the moment. Of course <laughs> they do. David Bednar. David Bednar, former uh, future Boston Red Sox, trying to close it out right now. You guys see that tweet? I, that reminds me of the Angels I tweet. Could, uh, it was like, it's like Shohei and uh, Trout go deep seven times. And, they're still and the Angels like lose. 15 to four or something. <laughs> Yeah, Perez oh. three home runs and they're still about to lose. Paul, what were you gonna say? Oh uh, no, I, I I was just saying I could go into a whole um, a whole podcast in and of itself about um, if we should trade Bednar or not. But I uh, I'm very fearful he has been overused this this year. He uh, is leading all of baseball in multi inning saves. He has six of them. Mm. Um, Interesting he stat. Is just He's just had to be a workhorse. He, so, and he's faltered a little bit as of late. I, I hope that the same doesn't happen tonight, but um, I think he's getting, he's getting run down already here in the middle of the summer, which I'm fearful of because our, our manager has no idea how to manage a bullpen. That's a, <laughs> just a side note. We can, we can, we can get back to, uh, to our topic of discussion here. Was it, am I, am, am I a I, better uh, bullpen manager in club, Paul? I didn't catch that, Jason. I said, am I a better bullpen manager in club baseball? You are a better manager in every aspect of the Except game. Except I never, I never put you in a game. So so this, this is the backstory for anybody who doesn't know the three of us. Uh, Jason, Paul, and I played on the club baseball team at uh, an SEC college. And um, I don't know why I didn't name it. It's whatever. D1 club. D1 club. Division one club baseball. And we were nationally ranked for for a while there. And Jason was the head coach and president of the team at the time. Um, Yeah, dude. Jason, hats off to you, dude. Hats off, man. Hats off to me because I played my butt off for five years. You played. I was great at bats. (laughs) You played. Um. (laughs) So we're gonna we're gonna move to the NL outfielders next. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., leading vote getter in the NL, he's got his spot locked up. Uh, Mookie Betts uh, is a finalist in there. Jock Peterson is a finalist. Is he not in the AL anymore? No, 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 Mookie. <sighs> Damn it! I don't even know what to say. No, no, we traded it. That was behaving. I really was. <laughs> that wasn't. That wasn't even. This was a couple years ago, man. This is old news. Get. Come up with something. Seems, seems like you're still not over it, big guy. <laughs> it's just I wasn't expecting it in the moment. Um. Anyways, Mookie Peterson, uh, Starling Marte, and Adam Duvall are uh, four finalists for the final two outfield spots in the NL. Mookie, I think he's having a great year. He's kind of back to form after a down year last year. Jock's having a good year. So is Marte. Duvall, I don't really think belongs in this conversation as much. I mean – He's hitting like 205. Sure, he's got 10 bombs, but he's got an OPS under seven, 
under 650, actually. I, I think this is kind of carryover from the World Series last year. Um, really, the argument is between whether you want Jock Peterson or Starling Marte. Um, I would, I mean, it's tough again, and maybe Jock has some all-star votes coming kind of in a roundabout way from the Braves thing from last year, but he's having a hell of a season, uh, 276 average. He's got an OPS above 930, 17 homers, 39 RBIs. Uh, he's not really hitting against lefties much, um, do without what you want. Uh, Marte though, for the Mets playing in New York, big part of the reason why, uh, they're having the season they're having, uh, I believe he's the leadoff hitter for them. I believe I may be mistaken. Uh, he's playing good defense. Hammer, usually hammer memo. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. Um, I think it's got to be Jock, though, for the last bar. I mean, his numbers across the board are just – his offensive numbers are far better. Far better. It's Jock yeah, I mean, I think – and I, I'm going to give Paul some, some love over here. I think Brian Reynolds should be in the conversation – Agreed. I think guys like I think guys like Ian Happ should be in the conversation. I think even Brandon Nimmo should be in the conversation. But I think Jock Mookie and Acuna, I think everybody be. could could be happy with there. It's got to be Paul. Any um, any objections? Well, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you giving Brian Reynolds a shout out. Um, just as someone who watches Brian Reynolds play every day, his he was on a torrid pace in June, and his average has climbed up into the two sixties. Now he had three home runs yesterday, but his Month of April and May was just such a slow start that he he's not going to get the love for the All-Star game this year. Um, but I, I do appreciate you throwing his name out there. I guarantee by the end of the year, his stat line is going to be a, a top three or top five in the NL among outfielders. Um, I'm also, you know, a homer for Starling Marte just, you know, because he broke into the league with the Pirates. And as someone who's watched baseball since he's five, I arguably say that Marte has – some of maybe the best tools that I've ever seen in a player. Um, the, his head wasn't always in it in Pittsburgh, but he, I mean, the speed, the arm, the ability for power, I mean, it's all there. He's, he's one hell of a ball player. But I think Jock's stat line is going to win it for him this year. And the other thing about Marte is, I was looking at his numbers a little bit before this, his stolen bases are pretty down this year. I think he only has eight. Yeah, which I was that's extremely, correct. Extremely surprised with that he's not swiping bags at a higher clip. So I, that was like, that would be the one category where he could leap Jock and, you know, that could really make an argument for him. But since that number's down, I, I think Jock is a pretty safe, uh, safe bet for that third spot over him. All right. Um, we pretty much hit on all the positions. Um, you guys want to talk about yeah. starters, starting pitchers? Or do you want to on that real quick? Um, I do want to get into our, our next segment, the top five most influential players of all time. But we'll hit on pitchers really quick. Um, NL, I think it's, I mean, look, you could make an argument for a couple of guys in the NL if you really want to. Um, but I, if you look at who's leading all of major league baseball in war right now, it's one pitcher and he's not, it's not someone who you would normally throw into this either. It's Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins. He lately has been dominant. Like, there's no other word to use. He's averaging over eight innings pitch in his last 10 starts. He leads all of baseball in war. Uh, he's got I, – I need to pull up his stats again, but he's having an absolutely incredible year for the Miami Marlins. Absolutely incredible. Um, trying to uh, pull up these 
10 mil a year or two. They signed him for, I think, four years, 40 mil. So absolute steal of a contract. Yeah, seriously. I mean, um, Washington pitch, I think last year or two years ago in Miami. And I mean, he is just a massive dude too. The workhorse. I mean, like, can you even really Tony Gonsolin's been pitching well for the Dodgers? Like, but he probably has, he probably averages less than six innings to start. I mean, he doesn't yeah. go super deep into games. He is great, but, um, Musgrove's been great for the Padres. Corbin Burns. Um, Musgrove, I believe, I was going to mention his name, Demario. If you've got the stats, I believe uh, Musgrove is leading at least the National League, maybe all of baseball in quality starts. I, that's a more recent stat, and I don't know how much both of you guys value that, but that's with pitchers not going as deep into games, that's becoming, I think, a, a more important thing, and I, I'm pretty sure Musgrove is leading in that. That's yeah. statistics. So, so I, I have I have them side by side right now. Uh, Musgrove and Alcantara both have twelve quality starts. Okay, for second in all of baseball behind Alec Manoa and Framber Valtez, who both have thirteen. Um, I love Framber. I Framber's great. He shut out the Sox in in the ALCS last year. Don't want to talk about it. Um, Musgrove thirteen starts. Alcantara sixteen. Alcantara has an eight and three record. Musgrove eight and one. Uh, Alcantara has two complete games. Musgrove has none. Alcantara has thrown 30 more innings than Musgrove. Um, He's with that. He's only allowed five more earned runs. He's allowed one less Homer. Uh, He's struck out 17 more batters. He has an ERA at 1.95. Musgrove's is at 212. Um, he just got he got rocked last time out, Musgrove, and he's other Dodgers tonight. So yeah, other stats. I'm about to turn on that Dodgers game in a moment. Pirates won, by the way, Paul, eight to seven. The final score. Um, awesome. Raise it, Paul. Two oh three awesome. batting average. Thirty one wins, baby. Thirty one wins. <laughs> um. Yeah, Alcantara's got basically slightly better numbers across the board, just by a hair. Um he's really turned it up and I, that's huge for the Marlins organization, what he's been doing. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that he actually has a shot at winning 20 games with a, with the Marlins team yeah. this year. I mean, that is absolutely insane. I mean, Felix used to win 10, 11 games or DeGrom on bad Mets teams used to win 10 or 11 games. I mean, what he's doing is crazy on a mediocre team. And then on the flip side for the AL uh, again, I think it's a two horse race pretty much you can maybe throw some other names in there if you want but it's going to come down to either shane mcclanahan or the veteran uh mr spin rate himself justin verlander um verlander 10 wins in the league most in the league uh 2.03 era mcclanahan's is better he's got 1.77 um mcclan has 30 more strikeouts than verlander he's got a much higher strikeout per nine He's got a much better strikeout per walk. Uh, their batting average against is pretty much identical. Um, it's really just a matter of whether you value um, the workload that Verlander is putting in more than McClanahan's because Verlander has pitched more innings by a decent amount. Yeah, I mean, I'm giving it to McClanahan just based on his overall stuff and his success with that team. Um, I mean, also just nice to see a, a young guy coming yeah. in on the scene. Somebody I, I think you could use. You could easily throw Manoa in there too. Yeah. Perez out of nowhere goes from a four yeah. with the Sox to a two one or whatever. But mine is McClanahan. But that's a that's another one that you could get, can't go wrong with either one. 
I think it's McClanahan too. I think so. Paul, anything? Yeah, I, I'd like I'd like to see McClanahan at least. Um, you know, Verlander started in the All Star game before, and like you don't want to make a decision just because oh, a guy's been there before. So let's give it to the younger guy if he's not deserving. But uh, I think he's deserving this year. His, I mean, his ERA is his ERA still in the ones? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I got to give it to him. Um, love to see that. You know. So I, he's my also. Hope. Also, I think pitching in the AL East with the ballparks, the hitting teams is yeah. a lot hard, yeah. a lot harder than pitching in the AL West. I mean, don't get me wrong; there's great hitters in that division, but there are bigger ballparks. The bottom of the orders aren't as good, so I think you got to factor that in as well. That's a great point. Great point. Um, we're gonna take a short break. One last segment, and we come back. So, pause now. All right. We're back from break. Uh, Patrick DeMar here once again with Jason Selikoff, Paul Kashak, a couple close friends, a couple close baseball enthusiasts as well. Um, we got one big sec, one, one uh, last segment I really want to talk about. But before that, um, I mentioned just a second ago while we were on break, y'all, uh, did either of you two see the Bleacher Report or MLB report that um, – They'll be adding robo umps in 2024 as well as expanding the league. Yep, I did see that. So I'm I'm less focused on the robo umps thing. I feel like that's gonna happen at some point, whether we want it to or not. And I'm I, I actually don't mind the human error from umpires in baseball as long as it's capped to a certain degree. I feel like they could definitely do a better job of which umpires are working which games. That's besides the point. If baseball is expanding. Do you do either of you two have a dream destination for where baseball expands to? Do we go back to Canada? Do we maybe try to get into Mexico? To, does Vegas get a team? I, I think Nashville has had a lot of buzz around it the last couple of years. Maybe you could say like Portland or like uh, like another team, maybe in in um I don't know. I don't even know where else you would go. Like Charlotte, New Orleans. Does Charlotte make sense though? Like you, New Orleans is a good one. I actually did think about that earlier when I was bouncing this idea yeah. around in my head. Las Vegas. I, mean, I do. Sorry like to interrupt, Vegas. but Las Vegas. Not, I do like Las Vegas. I mean, going back to the Charlotte point, living in Charlotte, the closest team I think is the Braves, which is three and a half, four hours away. So that is kind of a decent ways away. Yeah. Um, I do think Nashville and Las Vegas would probably be the best options in terms of revenue fan bases all of mm. that so yeah and i'd oh. like to see it but but also i think it kind of stinks that there are teams like the rays and a's who just have basically no fan base and sometimes they are pretty competitive teams but yeah mm. rays especially um, recently. I, I wouldn't mind the only city that you guys didn't really touch on that i think maybe it, it might make a little bit of sense is maybe like something in oklahoma city um i mean they got Ooh. the thunder for the nba but um, that Midwest area there, like down that whole yeah. strip from the Dakotas, Kansas, Nebraska, like in Oklahoma there. I mean, that, that's kind of a dead area. I, I feel like kind of in general for sports. I mean, I guess you have Kansas city, but that's in Missouri, yeah. but uh, Oklahoma city to me is just another one I would throw out there in addition to the cities you guys already mentioned. Super passionate fan base there too, with the thunder. That's actually not a bad idea. I, I could see that. The only question is whether or not, um, like how good MLB would really feel about it. Vegas, I think 
probably makes a ton of sense. Um, I don't know how well a baseball team would do in Vegas, but for the league, it makes sense. Um, Nashville, I could see that actually being a hit. I mean, Tennessee's kind of in a weird sort of like gray zone where all the Kentucky people are fans of like the guardians and teams like from that area or like the Cardinals or something. And then everybody like North Carolina through what Alabama, they're probably Braves fans or like maybe Rangers or Astros fans or something, the locals. I don't know. Like I growing up in South Carolina, we're only three, three and a half hours away from Atlanta here, but it's, it wasn't all Braves fans. There was a really big mix of just everybody. So baseball definitely has some untapped markets. I could see them trying to go to Montreal. Um, I could see, I definitely think Nashville has a good chance. I remember that being a buzz like a couple of years ago where Justin Timberlake, Dave Dombrowski, some others were trying to put a bid together and it, it never really came to fruition. Um, of course, I, with that, you have to keep in mind, basketball is probably going to be expanding too in the next couple of years. So whether or not Vegas, Vegas can probably do a basketball and a baseball team at the same time, it's really just a matter of where that second city would be. And maybe it, it maybe they pair it with like the Rays moving or, or the A's moving somewhere and like adding another team and those kind of like South Florida kind of Bay Area things. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But then again, Florida's already got all their own issues with trying to have a consistent baseball team there. The, the Rays are probably moving. Nobody really cares about the Marlins. It's, it's a whole deal. So who knows? Um, who knows? Any final thoughts with that? No? All right. Um, next up, final segment of the night. Um, this is something uh, I prompted Jason with. Uh, a couple days ago when I approached him about doing this, Paul, um, you have, uh, I believe, you know, the deal for this, we're doing our five most influential baseball players of all time. I don't know if you've made your top five, Jason and I made a top six sort of, and included an honorable mention. Um, if you don't have your own, do, do you have your own top five off the top of your head or, or at your hands? I, I do. I do have my top five. I don't know if I have an honorable mention, but I have my top five. I gave it a little bit of thought earlier. This was the segment I was most looking forward to. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm glad we're all on the same page then. Um, would either of you two like to start or would you guys like for me to start? How about I'll, I'll start. I'll start. I'll start. Um, I want to start because I want to kind of frame how I thought about this and then open the floor to you two. So first and foremost, I feel like this, is, this isn't necessarily the five best baseball players of all time. It's the five most influential. So statistics and accomplishments, accolades, that will play a factor into how I rank these guys, but it's not going to be the end-all, be-all deciding vote. Um, I tried to take into account legend status or lore, like guys you hear stories about, um, guys that have these sort of tall tales that you attribute to their names, to their characters, to their personas that have lasted, that will continue to last. Generational impact. So guys that I hear my dad talk about, guys that I would hear older fans of the game talk about, or even some of these newer guys, guys that have the name that still carries, that you know is going to carry, that you're going to tell your kids about, that sort of thing. So I, that being said, my list has more, uh, pretty much all past players, 
but uh, my honorable mentions, I gave a love to a couple more newer guys. And then I, I took into account fan base for that particular player, how much fan support or appreciation they have. And again, accomplishments, like accolade stats. So I started this one, I think is very obvious. And I, Jason and I talked, we grouped two players together for this. Um, Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente, I think have to be number one. I feel like you can't really include one without including the other. It would be unfair to Clemente to not include him if you include Jackie. And I, I don't want to say one is more influential than the other because they both open the door for uh, African-American players, Latin players. They're both Hall of Famers. Um, Jackie, of course, it's Jackie freaking Robinson. And any baseball player that has a movie made about him, it's a pretty big deal. Um, not to mention the facts he was an all-purpose athlete at UCLA, so there's like that whole aspect to him as well. He played sport, in the Negro Leagues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Clemente, 3,000 hits. He's the Roberto, he, the Roberto Clemente Award is named after him, which by definition of Major League Baseball best represents what a Major League Baseball player should be both on and off the field. I think that really speaks to something. Um, my number two, Babe Ruth. Another easy one. I feel like I really think that after you get past the top three or four, if you want to include Clemente as well, that's when it actually gets difficult. Um, Ruth. I mean, I was actually looking at some of his numbers the other day, like really trying to gain a grasp for how good he actually was, because there's been a lot of slander towards Ruth from certain big name baseball media people recently. Jason probably knows what I'm talking about. Um, 714 career homers, 2,214 RBIs, and 183.1 career war. He led league, led, lead, led the league in homers 12 times, and he's the all-time leaguer in slugging percentage, OPS, and OPS plus. Not to mention he has seven World Series titles. Um, with what team? Did he win all, any with the Red Sox? No, uh, he did yeah. win one. I thought he did win one with the Sox. And then they mookied him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so he moved. Yeah. He moved. Babe Ruth. Yeah. That's how that works. Chronological order. Um, so I, I mean, won a World Series since Mookie, I'm just saying. <laughs> I feel like 20 years from now, Shohei Otani will probably be on this list and maybe even higher than Ruth. Um, because if you look at their stats from when they both pitched and hit Shohei's two way stats are way more impressive. Um, but Ruth, I mean, when people said, when Shohei was Tony was coming in, it was a big deal because he was supposedly going to be the next Babe Ruth. That's, you know, this, he's the main guy in the sandlot where there's this legend built around him. Everybody knows Babe Ruth. One of my roommates who doesn't know anything about baseball. I asked him if, can you name any baseball players at all? He named Babe Ruth. And the other guy he named was actually Derek Jeter, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, he's one of my honorable mentions. I'll get to him a little bit later. Um, I Babe Ruth. I feel like if he's not one, he has to be two in this. He just has to be. And then three for me was Hank Aaron. Um, 755 homers. Um, next only to Barry Bonds, who is not included in this list for me. Um, Hank Aaron, the all-time leader in RBIs, uh, as well as total bases. He's a 21-time All-Star, and he did so in 21 consecutive seasons. 21 consecutive trips to the All-Star game. He only has one World Series title. He only has one MVP. He has three gold glove awards. But 
as far as lasting impacts on the game, he, and I've, I've kind of picked my dad's brain about this. He was never really considered one of the best of the best while he was playing per se, but after you get to a number like seven to five, five, there's so much work that goes into it and so much consistency that you have to have. And that, the clip of him hitting the homer and the field being stormed by like fans and stuff. I, that's, that's a clip that will never die in baseball. And it's something that sticks out more in my brain than bonds doing his, than bonds hitting his record breaking homer against, I think it was the nationals and hugging his kid at the plate. Um, I actually saw that game live um, not in San Francisco, but I remember watching it at the time, but I, I feel like Aaron gets the nod uh, partly from longevity, partly less controversy. Um, and he's got the Hank Aaron award named after him too. I feel like that has to stand. If you have an award named after you in the game of baseball, that's got to stick for something. Um, four and five was a lot harder for me. I kind of thought about this next tier of players and I had a whole bunch of names that came with it. Um, Stan Musial, Willie Mays, Ted Williams, Alex Rodriguez, Satchel Page, Ricky Henderson, Barry Bonds, Mike Trout, Pedro Martinez, um, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, however, I went this direction. My number four, I have to give him some respects. It's Lou Gehrig for me. Uh, maybe surprising, Jason, having two Yankees here in my list. Um, 2,130 consecutive games played uh, was the longest stretch until Cal Ripken broke it in 1995. Uh, his career was cut short at age 36 due to Lou Gehrig's disease. He probably would have played another three to four years and added to his pretty impressive totals. Uh, two-time MVP, seven-time All-Star selection, one Triple Crown, six World Series rings. He's probably the greatest first baseman of all time, if not one of them. Um He's a player from well beyond, well before I was born, but he gets looped into that, the Yankees lore and probably doesn't get enough credit for how good of a player he actually was because of how good Ruth was. Um, but I don't think you can really tell the story of the game of baseball or the story of baseball's most successful team without including him in the, in this list as well. And then for my fifth, I really wanted to make sure I included a pitcher. I was close to doing Rivera. Um, but I didn't feel like he had the same gravitas and, and I don't feel like he had the same kind of ability to stack up with this guy that I'm about to mention. I talked about Satchel Page earlier. He was close to making this list for me. Pedro, I thought about Sandy Koufax. I thought about Clayton Kershaw. I thought about um, a couple of other guys, but I landed on Nolan Ryan for my number five. Um, you got to be kidding <laughs> you just named my whole list your whole list we oh, have the same yeah, list it's all gone i, no, I mean there's one guy i have in my top five that you didn't credit in your top five but you mentioned his name it's unbelievable no, go ahead no, i'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> that's great i i felt like i had to include a picture and when i was thinking of guys like if you're thinking about who's the number one guy i wouldn't want to face all time as a hitter outside of like I mean, I wouldn't want to face anybody that throws a hundred and up and everybody supposedly says that Nolan Ryan is still one of the hardest throwers of all time. He had a 27 year career in baseball, which is absurd. His career in baseball is older than I am. 
His also absurd. Pitch, yeah. His last pitch ever was 98 when he was 46 years old. Yes. 807 <laughs> career appearances, 324 wins, 5,714 strikeouts, and 5,386 innings pitched. He's an eight-time All-Star, uh, World Series winner once. I, like, he owns the Rangers. It's Nolan freaking Ryan. Like, is there another pitcher that you can say is most influential? I feel like this whole wave of, of fireballers that we've had the last 10 years – Nolan Ryan's name always gets brought up in every every single conversation, every live televised game about all these hard throwing guys. Every single time his name gets brought up, and it's because of the influence that he has on that he has and has had on the sport. Um, my honorable mentions were Ken Griffey Jr., Ted Williams, and Derek Jeter. Um, Griffey, I really thought about because again of he sort of, I think changed, I wasn't like really around at the time, but I feel like he kind of changed the game in the way that um, he started the modernization of it coming into this new century. Uh, like the backwards hat thing during the home run derby. That's, that's always going to be a tribe. You could even make, I feel like you could maybe make that the new logo of the majors if you wanted, if you're not going to use trout stance. Um, Ted Williams, if not for two stints serving, um, as a pilot for the United States government and wars, he probably would have career numbers close to Ruth and Gehrig. They're already pretty damn incredible. A lot of people say he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest hitter of all time, last hitter to hit over 400 in a season, all kinds of stuff uh, attributed to his name in terms of Lauren legend and the Red Sox organization, no world series rings though, unfortunately. Um, and then Derek Jeter, I grouped in partly because with my non-baseball fan roommate bringing his name up, it really made me think about guys in the last like 25, 30 years that have pull and have those name rec have the name recognition. And it's really like Jeter, A-Rod, maybe Ortiz, and then like, I guess Trout, I guess, but that's coming from someone who is a fan of baseball. I don't know what non-baseball fans say. And Jeter, like, even like I'm a Red Sox fan. I've got all kinds of respect for him. The Jeter throw is a whole thing that every kid ever practices when they're taking ground balls in the infield. He, he won how many world series rings, Jason five. Thank you. Um, he's a captain of the most storied organization in history in our lifetime. I feel like not giving him at least a sniff of this list would be somewhat disingenuous, even though he may not, be as impressive a player as the rest of these guys on this list. You got to give me credit for a Red Sox fan naming three Yankees in here. Like this was hard for me. <laughs> this was hard and it tore wild. me to pieces. Our lists are wildly different. Our lists are different. Whereas apparently Paul's and I are exactly the same. Apparently well, I approached this. Do, do you want me to just go with my list now? Well, do you, do you have any takes about it? Do you think any of my guys don't belong? No, I like all of your lists. I think the only difference with our list, you kind of did best players and I kind of did changing the game. Okay. I think that's I'm interested. The two biggest differences. So I'm interested. That being said, I guess I'll go right into it. And yeah. I definitely think I kind of overthought this. A lot. Wait, before, before you do, Paul, since our lists were so similar, if you want to give me like a hit list or a bullet point, on the names I mentioned, go for it. 
Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, our listeners, I guess, are probably going to think I didn't prepare for this because I'm just <laughs> piggybacking off of the names that you did. I, I do. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's a, a good transition because your guys are pretty much my guys. The only guy I officially had on my list that you said you didn't, even though you mentioned his name, is I did have Barry Bonds on my list. He, um, and the reason for that is because he is the all-time leader in home runs um, in Major League Baseball. But also, you know, from an outsider perspective, we might not always link baseball with this word, but I know people who don't watch the game as much as us do. Steroids and baseball for people go together a lot. And influential is not – in this case, I think we're generally going to be saying guys that, like, had a good influence on the game. And you can get into the whole Barry Bonds, should he be a Hall of Famer or not, like everybody was using steroids. But uh, you think Barry Bonds, and like, one of the first things you think is steroids. And, and, and that kind of era, baseball, the steroid era, and, you know, the home runs just going up in an exponential amount. I, I, I thought you had to put him on there. Uh, you know, yeah. whether you like or dislike the guy, he does have 762 home runs. And, you know, baseball is not taking away that record. And I'm not even advocating that they should. So I did officially have him on my list mainly for that reason. Um, Roberto Clemente is another guy I, I have to put on my list. I mean, as a pirate fan, yep. you know, he greatest pirate of all time, in my opinion, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Um, wow. Even better I, than Barry Bonds. I put, I put Clemente above Bonds, but that's like uh, part of that's like a more of a love for Clemente. Yeah. Um, and because yeah. of the kind of guy he was off the field. Um, and, and I have to mention that he, the way he died for people who don't know, you guys might know he died on new year's Eve, um, sending relief to, uh, victims of, uh, violent earthquakes in Nicaragua. And he was sending relief like continuously throughout the year. And that the, like the supplies and everything that he was sending wasn't making it to the people that needed it most. Like it, Nicaragua had a very corrupt government. I, I think they might still, I know that they have throughout history. Um, and you know, it was just going to more of the wealthy and more powerful people and not everybody was getting the relief they needed. So he, on this trip went down himself with everything that he was sending to make sure it got in the hands of the people who needed it most. And, uh, that night, uh, that new year's Eve night, that plane went down and crashed. And so that's how he passed away. And a fun, fun fact, maybe not fun, but an interesting tidbit is uh, a gentleman named Tom Walker was going to join him on that trip. Um, and Roberto said, you know, no, go enjoy yourself. You know, go spend time with your family and friends on New Year's Eve. Tom Walker is the father of Neil Walker, who <laughs> was the second baseman for the Pirates um, and was part of the Pirates. Yankee legend. Brought us out of 20 straight losing years. So wow. um, that's uh, that's just interesting how that all kind of went in a circle. And then – What'd you say? I didn't know that. That was a good fun fact yep. right there. Yeah. Um, and, and Roberto Clemente Day is the thing, too, And in, in case anybody didn't know. August yep. 18th is Roberto Clemente's birthday. Um, and as a Pirate fan, I really want the city of Pittsburgh and everybody in general to make a push for everybody to wear the number 21 on that day as we wear 42 on Jackie Robinson Day. So I was um, about to say, I, I think it's only a matter of time before that yeah, happens. I, I think Roberto Clemente. Yeah, it's a, he's a special player, special person for anybody who, who roots for black and gold. Um, and then the other guys, I mean, you hit on um, Jackie Robinson is Jackie Robinson. I would love yeah. to talk more about him, but I don't want to steal too much of the spotlight. Uh, Nolan Ryan is a guy I didn't think that you would have on the list, Amar, but I did. <laughs> and the, the reason that I had him on the list is I tried to look at where are we in the game now and who in the past kind of played that way. Um, yeah. And 
the game is very black and white now, in my opinion. It's strikeouts, it's home runs. Nolan Ryan, Nolan Ryan, huge strikeout guy, as you mentioned. Wasn't always the most efficient pitcher, but you know, he had a rubber arm. And, yeah. and guys, pitchers are not going as deep into ball games now. The pitch count is is you know preventing guys from going as deep into ball games. And the, the style of pitching is to try to strike the guy out and not necessarily pitch to contact and and you know, try to get through a game efficiently. And I think that that's how Nolan Ryan pitched. I, I know it sounds like I'm kind of saying that in a negative way, but uh, he was a master at it. And I, I think that just pitchers are pitching that way now, and maybe that's partly to avoid the home run. Um, but I, I thought he deserved a spot on that list just because that's, that's just how the game's being played and pitched right now. But he hit the nail on the head. If I did have an honorable mention, it probably would have been Satchel Page too. So, I mean, <laughs> you guys can take the floor. Thanks for going first, Damar. Yeah, I, I, we agree on – everything with Nolan. That's why I included him in my list. I did not include Bonds because I wasn't really taking into account the negative versus positive press. I was thinking more like, I think, I feel like he's not the, I feel like we don't talk about his game anymore. We talk about all the other stuff. It's not, Cause I remember, I actually remember watching him. I remember how good he was. And you look at the numbers. He had multiple seasons where he was getting on base more than half the time. That never happens. Not like pre, not like post 1930. That's not supposed to happen. On base percentage when he was like 37. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen. And you can, you can take all the steroids you want. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to learn how to hit a baseball. You still actually have to do the work on that end. And there's been plenty of guys who've done roids and played in the majors that have sucked. So you got to give him his credit. To be honest, I didn't include him on the list only because I was trying to make it about more than just the sport of baseball. So I like Robinson, Clemente, that's obvious. Ruth, it's that's baseball in a nutshell in Babe Ruth. Hank Aaron, that's another one where it kind of pales beyond the, the the white lines of the baseball field. Lou Gehrig, you could argue the same thing. And you could also argue his commitment to playing every single day speaks to just putting in the work every single day. And then Nolan Ryan, it's like a Hall of Famer with a year that with a career that almost spanned three decades. It, like not including bonds on my list was really tough. I think the only reason why I didn't was because maybe internally like subconsciously I, I have a negative connotation with him but i think he should be in the hall i, I don't the story is the job of the hall of fame is to tell to tell the story of baseball whether it's good or bad i i don't really agree with him not being in there we could get into that argument if we want i don't think we need to maybe for another next, day next podcast next yeah, podcast next one but Jason, I'm going to give it to you. I want to hear what your top five is because it sounds like you went a completely different direction with this. Yeah, I, I did. And I, I do take a lot of pride in baseball history and kind of where I rank certain players. So, Biggest baseball nerd I know right here. So don't, don't get on me with that because I, do, I did take a very different route. I kind of went the route of like how they kind of changed the game or differentiated from other players, like almost like – Curry or like yeah, Jokic or whatever in basketball, like how they're just completely different players and like change generations in terms of their play style. So I certainly overthought it a little bit and didn't really go the top five best players, which not that you guys did, but some of the players you guys named definitely top five, maybe top 10 talent ever. 
Um, but I'll go right at it. Um, I am going to change one because I did overthink it a lot. And I tried to go no Yankees because I really just tried to go basically zero bias. Um, but I'm going Robinson Clemente up top. Um, I wasn't going to include Clemente with Robinson, but you guys definitely, I was going to put Clemente a little bit lower just because Robinson kind of arrived on the scene first. Yeah. I, um, like if, if we want to do that argument, Robinson, I think is more influential. Like if you have to stack them up, but I didn't want to like play the semantics game with it. I just put them together. Yeah. And I mean, everybody's seen the movie. Everybody's heard everything. I mean, there's for 25 years, there's been a retired number throughout the entire sport, which across all four major sports in the U S that's not a thing in any other yeah. sport. And I still think it was 30, 40 years too late that they did that. I mean, Rivera was wearing 42 until not even 10 full years ago. Um, right. So and again, that was to honor him, not to disrespect him or anything. Um, but those are my top two. Uh, I will go Babe Ruth three. He was the one that wasn't even on my list because I didn't want to name any Yankees. But, I mean, he – don't even talk about his pitching stats right now because he is known to be a home run hitter. He had many seasons where he was hitting more home runs than multiple franchises year in and year out. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was hitting home runs – the way Larry Bird and Steph Curry were shooting threes before they were shooting threes or to a different extent of them shooting threes. So, I mean, him, him hitting home runs kind of set the bar for kind of how baseball is played. If you had eight home runs, that used to be considered a lot in a year. And then he kind of arrived on the scene and I understand he was facing maybe 84 down the middle or whatever, but <laughs> he was the only one doing that at the time. So that's kind of my argument there. Again, he kind of changed the face of two franchises, not even trying to be a Yankee homer right now. But no, you're right, though. He, you're right. He probably arguably the two most famous franchises in arguably the most famous American sport. He probably changed um, the whole landscape of baseball, not just those two franchises. Yep. And I mean, again, you, we can always go over the backstory in that trade another day. But I think Babe Ruth, Robinson Clemente, those are three kind of easy ones that you don't really need an explanation for. Um, I am going to name the four I still have written down because I didn't have Ruth originally, but I have Griffey um, as my next one. Griffey, again, kind of just his play style. He missed basically four years of his prime, 630 home runs. I mean, if he stayed healthy, he was a gold glove center fielder. He was so fast. He was so big. He probably could have hit 800 home runs if he stayed healthy. Um, I mean, just played the game with so much passion. He had so much fun. Um, and again, that was kind of new to the scene as well. Nobody yeah. really ever seen that before. Um, so I would definitely say he brought some pretty bad franchises up as well. Mariners, Reds. I mean, it was hard said, not for me to include him in mine. Like was I, unbelievable. I was really close. Sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're good. My, the one following him is kind of, in my opinion, Griffey before Griffey. And this might surprise you, but Ricky Henderson, um, I'm really That's excited a good one. To, to read his book. He just came out with a book. Um, so the active MLB steals leader, does anybody have any idea who that is? The active steals leader? Wait, can this, this is a fun, this is a fun game. Paul, I'll, you guess first, I'll guess second. Um, the player has to be active now. Yes. Oh, yeah. crap. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the, 
If you really? get one or two, no, I'd be impressed. Are either Jamar, you, go, you go first. I, are either players currently free agents who are not retired? I honestly don't know what team he is on, but well, the guy I was the guy I was thinking of was Juan Pierre, but I no. I don't he's, he's not been retired playing, for a bit. Right? Um, Jacoby Ellsbury popped into my head for a second just because I know he had a bunch of great stolen base seasons, but he hasn't been playing for a few years. I think he's retired. I would say maybe like this is actually kind of hard. Maybe um, ooh, maybe maybe Gardner's in there. He's not active. Yeah, that's true. Maybe um, I don't know. What the hell? Who who even it, it, keeps track of who's the stolen base leader anymore at the end of the year? This might be a this is probably a very dumb guess, but uh, and he might not be the most act. He might not be the leader, but uh, for a time, the the most feared guy on the base paths was Billy Hamilton. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's actually third on that list. All third, right, so it's not that dumb. Okay. So so the reason I bring that up, going back to it. Well, who are one and two? You you never who is it? I, well, I'm, I'm going at that right now. So, D. Gordon, D. Strange Gordon. So, <laughs> he is the leader. Yeah. With, I think, 336 stolen bases in his career. Oh, okay. I already know where you're about to go with this. Elvis Andrews, Andrews, however the fuck you say his name. He is number two. There's four total guys right now with 300 or more stolen bases. Billy Hamilton, and that's all he does. Uh. Starling Marte and those other two guys. Marte was going to be one of my guesses. He would again, have been my, my three, guess. Again, 336 stolen bases is what the active leader has, right? Doesn't Henderson have like a thousand more than that? Ricky Henderson has 1,406 stolen bases. <laughs> wow. By the time of his age 24 season, he would be the active leader today by 100 stolen bases. He would have 427 stolen bases from when he was 20 to 24 years old. So that's kind of where I went there. I mean, I'm again, I'm really excited to read his book. He is a wow. crazy personality. He was an unbelievable athlete that kind of baseball has never seen really before. Not only was he a base dealer, he had 300 career home runs. He, I still think, holds the record for most leadoff home runs. I mean, he's a World Series champ. Um Let's see, two-time World Series champ. He's won an MVP. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer by by a landslide. Three thousand hits. Um, I think again, he was kind of Griffey before Griffey, which a lot of people don't realize in terms of personality and flair and kind of athletic ability. So that's where I went for my third or fourth one, I guess. Um, one more, one more stat with Ricky before you move off. 1,406 career stolen bases, first all-time. Um, and then you have Lou Brock next with 938, almost a full 500 stolen bases behind him. Ricky Henderson also uh, played until he was 44 years old. Um, he played with a bunch of different teams, too. He... Uh, Give me a sec. He played with like, I want to say it was like, he started with Oakland, then he went to the Yankees, back to Oakland again, San Diego, Anaheim, the Mets, 
uh, Seattle, the Red Sox, the Dodgers. He finished his career in 2003. I didn't realize that until I saw a clip on Twitter the other day of him hitting a homer with the Dodgers in his last season. All-time leader in runs scored, 2,295 runs scored. Also all-time leader in, in uh, times caught stealing. But great pick, Jason. I was really close to putting him to my list, and I, I kind of thought about – I kind of – if I was going to put – I really thought about including him over Griffey for that honorable mention spot, but I ended up giving Griffey the edge just because I felt like he had more of an all-around kind of influence in game. Yep. Um... Yeah, I think it was kind of just, again, with my thinking of how people change the game, I think that was kind of just hard to keep him off my list. Yeah, um, your last two. So my next one, my only pitcher on my list, and I could have went so many different ways pitching. I could have went Pedro, Satchel, Randy Johnson won four straight Cy Youngs. He signed a four-year contract and literally won a Cy Young every single year. I mean, I, I even think Kershaw's going to be an all-time great when it's all said and done, Kopax, but um, – my fourth one is Greg Maddox, actually. Oh, so, nice. Again, that, that could surprise some people. Greg okay. Maddox. I like that or, one a lot, and I kept him off for a specific reason, but I'd love to hear your argument. Yep. Greg I like Maddox, that pick. Four-time Cy Young, okay? Yeah. A four-time ERA title. Okay. Which is also insane. 5,000-plus innings pitched. And he has 18, I repeat, 18 gold gloves. The dude is like maybe my size, 5'10", 5'11", 170 pounds soaking wet. He is literally a wizard, like his nickname states. And he was pitching in a roided era when there was guys such as Pedro and Randy and Roger Clemens who had seven Cy Youngs who were all throwing in the high 90s. This dude was the complete opposite. And this dude kind of paved the way for guys like Dallas Keuchel and even today, Nestor Cortez and all these guys that are yeah. throwing 91, 90, whatever. And I mean, the true baseball fan knows what a Maddox is. I mean, he was mowing guys down with 88, 89, 90. He again, started the like sinker changeup wave. I feel like, like the real wave of it. Yep. So he's, he's definitely, he's won a world series. He could have, Easily won more, um, but again, 355 games won. I mean, we're never really going to even see maybe another 300-game winner with the way the game's going. Um, in my opinion, he won four straight Cy Youngs, again, from 92 to 95, again, in the middle of, middle of just everybody juicing. So he was – everybody was power against power, Clemens against – Bonds and all these guys, and he was just a complete opposite. So, in terms of in influential talent, um, I think he's right there. Um, and then another, probably my honorable mention pitcher is Bob Gibson. Um, yeah. Great, know, great one. Good pick. I don't know if a lot of people know much about Bob Gibson, but he literally changed the physical field of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the mount, the mound had to be changed because he pitched a one I think one one two ERA in nineteen did they move it back a full um, foot or was it just six inches? I don't remember. It was at least six inches, possibly a foot, but um he, I think they lowered the mound too after that. Yep, they definitely lowered it. He was just so feared and 
was just one of the scariest motherfuckers that, that the mount, a mount has ever seen, literally. Um, I also read a stat that in that 1968 year, he not once got pulled out of the game in the middle of an inning. Not one single time got pulled out of the game. We will never see that again. Wow. Um, wow. And then I think he got pinch hit for six total times, including playoffs. So I believe they won the World Series that year, or at least were in it. And his success did not slow down in the World Series at all. So that would be my honorable mention. But my fifth one, which again could surprise some people as well, would be Tony Gwynn. Tony um, Gwynn. Tony okay. Gwynn is on Tony Gwynn is on my list. Um, I'm similar to you and Paul in terms of I'm bored and I'm searching baseball reference just for the hell of it, but. Tony Gwynn is one of the greatest baseball reference pages to look at, in my opinion. You're not going to see the home runs with him. Um, you are going to see the 543 doubles, the 150 triples, or whatever he hit. Um, he has three. Time batting champion, which, again, eight times in the Royd era when a lot of people are hitting 340, 350 is pretty unbelievable. And this is my favorite stat of all. Tony Gwynn, again, looking at the game today, is completely different. He struck out more than 40 times, one time in his entire career. <laughs> one time. Joey Gallo does that in a game. And it was 40 on the nose, for that matter. I think he struck out 43 one year, if I'm not wrong. But 40 strikeouts and, and 1988. So, I mean, from, again, from changing the game and being influential with his on the field, again, he, he passed pretty early from unfortunate reasons. Um, but, again, some of these numbers, I mean, he was 34 and he hit 394. Like, and he came in seventh in the MVP that year <laughs> yeah. after hitting 394. So some of these stats are kind of just, just stupid in my opinion. But that's the route I went. Um, again, very kind of different from your list. Um, but I, I did enjoy hearing your list as well. Um, but wow. I could definitely go on and on and about some, some statistics. <laughs> well, I'm looking at his at his reference page right now. He had six, seven. He had eight seasons in which he hit 350 or higher. One, two, three, four of those he hit 350 or higher. Um, no, I, I just said that four of those, he hit 360 or higher. He had a 300, 370 season in 1987, 394 in 1994. That was the year you mentioned when he was 34. And then when he was 37, he hit 372. I mean, his last year, he was 41. He hit 324, like, and that was his decline. So, yeah, he only I played mean, like 70 games that year. And again, he was definitely not the most in-shape guy, and he still, in certain years, stole 56 bags, 40 bags. So again, I mean, the strikeout numbers are just yeah. absolutely stupid. I mean, for him to strike out less than 20 times in a full season. <laughs> now, I mean, Aaron Judge and Stanton, those are two of the most feared hitters in today's game, and those guys have 200 strikeouts consistently. Yeah, those guys probably do that in like a month, 20 Ks. Yep. Um. Wow! Great lists. Great lists. All three of us. Well, 
I, I, I love that, Jason. You certainly did take a different uh, avenue than Damar and I. I, I kind of wanted to touch on Greg Maddox yeah. one more time real quick. Please do. Because I really did consider putting him on the list. But what was kind of interesting, um, and you know, we can have a debate probably off to the side at some other time, it's interesting. The reasons that you had him on the list were the reasons I didn't have him on the list <laughs> um, because obviously a phenomenally accomplished pitcher. Um, and he did pave the way for some of these, uh, some of the softer throwers that we have in today's game. I'm surprised you didn't throw out Kyle Hendricks, who also you know, pitched on the Cubs as, yep, uh, as Maddox better. did. But uh, that was, that's the first guy that comes to mind that I've seen that like resembles Maddox. Cranky, I um, think is the biggest one for me. Even but, Wainwright today, but yep. Yeah. But the, the reason that I didn't have him on the list was kind of because, you know, I guess I did take a different approach and I had Nolan Ryan on there because of all the strikeouts and um, the harder throwing. Um, we, we see some of the softer throwing today, but like a lot of the focus is on the mid to upper nineties. I mean, you know, you just take a guy on the Yankees that, you know, Garrett Cole, you know, throws mid to upper nineties. And I feel like that's the way for pitchers. And I, I thought that Maddox was more of like an outlier with his success and the way that he succeeded at the game wasn't the way that, we see some of these pitchers now, but you made a great point about some of the softer throwers um, in today's game that are able to have success um, and, and just, you know, dot the corners and everything like that. It's a masterful way to pitch. I mean, pitching's an art and, and Maddox was as good of an artist as there was. So I, I just thought it was interesting. We kind of looked at the same information and, and made different conclusions from it. Yep. And it was, I mean, those are great points. It was just very tough between him and, him and Bob Gibson. I mean, I've read a lot about Bob Gibson as well. And I mean, again, I can't think of a guy who maybe Steph Curry in basketball, because if there is ever a four point line in basketball, it would solely because of be because of him. Yeah. Again, the whole reason why the mound got changed was because of one guy. It's not like everybody had a one, one ERA. So those two guys, definitely insane. The one fun fact I have that's pretty insane about Nolan Ryan is I was thinking about putting him on my list. Um, he's never won a Cy Young, which is just unbelievable. Um, so I think that was kind of crazy to look at because um, he did pitch for close to 30 years and had close to 6,000 strikeouts, but never won a Cy Young. So that's, that's a pretty interesting fact. So we're to, we've talked a, little, a few times about the mound being moved uh, because of Bob Gibson's career. For, for those of you who may be aren't as familiar with that. Uh, Bob Gibson had this incredible season in, I believe it was 1968. He had the lowest ERA for a season in modern major league history. History, um, So dominant and pitchers that year across the board were so dominant that they moved, that they lowered the height of the mound a full five inches, which gives you less loft or less like push off essentially coming down. And then, um, trying to see if they actually moved it back as well i believe they did but they definitely shrank the strike zone um i don't know if they actually moved it back too but um yeah they brought it down a full like half foot and then they changed the strike zone rules as well so like yeah if you're literally changing the rules of sport based off the dominance of one player i don't know how you can't say he's non-influential to the sport um wow that's pretty insane a few, other, uh, a few little other fun facts from that season he was 22 and 9 
with a 1-1. He had nine losses with a one ERA that year, which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. He also had 28 complete games out of 35 starts, which I don't think a complete game counts if you only throw eight innings. So in those some of those losses, again, like I said, I don't think he ever got taken out of the game. He had over 300 innings pitched, which again, at this in today's game, 200 innings pitched is a ton. Um, so, I mean, the guy was just – and then you look at his trophy case from that year. Dude was an all-star, Cy Young, MVP, and Gold Glover. If I were to guess, probably won the Silver Slugger, too. So. And that was the year <laughs> after they won the World Series, too. Yep. So, I mean, it was just – I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's won two World Series. Wow. Um, so, really just a kind of a special – guy that I think because of the era he pitched in kind of before our generation, it doesn't get talked about enough, but just a, just an ace. (laughs) So to put it lightly, to bring this question into modern terms now, is there a guy besides trout or Otani that could make their way onto this list? Like does maybe, and if so, who are those guys? What's like? What's a short list? Maybe, maybe you put, maybe Kershaw, maybe, maybe. I think, Ker- I think Verlander might have a little. Well, no, probably Kershaw more than him. I think Kershaw's overall numbers kind of make Verlander's arguably look silly, which is kind of funny to say because you're right. So though I've, I've looked at both pages, you're right. He's, he's but better. yeah, I think. From a pitching standpoint, it's probably Kershaw. Um, I mean, from a hitting standpoint, you can go a few different ways. You can go Acuna, Soto. Yeah, Tatis maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, again, the way I was thinking, you could even throw Stanton and Judge on there just from their size standpoints and how hard they hit a ball. And even a guy like O'Neill Cruz, who is just coming on the scene. I mean, yes, sir. Six, seven, a 6'7", 225-pound shortstop that that runs as fast as close to Billy Hamilton and hits the ball as hard as John Carlos Stanton and throws the ball as hard as Max Scherzer. I mean, he's a guy that could actually change the game too. So Stanton, I think is one that maybe could end up on this list. He's 32 right now. He could hit Um, 600 home runs if he's, if he he, doesn't get hurt. He's at 366 right now. And that's taking into account, uh, 2019, where he was hurt most of the year, he only hit three. In 2020, he was hit most of the year. He only hit four. Um, I mean, Stadium. I mean, he could he could hit 30 for the next five or six years. He could hit 40 for the next five or six years, for that matter. Um, yeah. He's got 19 already this year in 62 games. Um, I think maybe you could make an argument for like. I'm just trying to think of impact. I got one tomorrow. If you're if you're in a little bit of a, a mental lapse, somebody that yeah. I don't think I don't think has been said yet, um, unless I did miss it, and it's not um, like in a purely stats or like actually playing the game perspective. I think um, Pete Alonso has a really good opportunity to like shape the home run derby. The home run derby has like already been changing over the past few years, but he's a back to back champ. I, I imagine mm-hmm. he'd be the favorite again. He's he's very into it. Um, and fastest guy to get to a hundred home runs as well. So 
I think that that's a guy in terms that like people can at least remember down the road. Like I, I could see him rattling off, you know, four or five home run derbies in a row. Yeah. Um, and he's still very young uh, as well. You know, he's, he's him and judge are both, I believe are on pace. If, if you extrapolate their home runs per at bat, they're on pace to break Bonds' record. Um, so, you know, they could be duking out, duking it out throughout the course of their career, but um Pete has put on an absolute show the past couple home run derbies. Really excited to see him again this year. So taking a little bit of a different route with that one. I feel like you could maybe make an argument for Miguel Cabrera in a couple of years. People have the recency oh, yeah. of him like getting older and not being quite what he used to be and having the contract that he has right now. And I feel like his name isn't really floated around in that great status as it used to be, even though he is Pujols, you could say maybe too. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, we got to give some love to Pujols. Yeah. He probably had the arguably the greatest 10 year stretch of yes. any right-handed hitter in the history. And he's probably like five years older than it says on his baseball reference page. You and know how was, those Dominican yeah. birth certificates work. <laughs> Juan Soto I mean, was not 19 when he broke into the league. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. He had to be like 22, 23 at least, which if he's like 26, 27 now, and he actually gets that 13-year deal or whatever that the Nats reportedly offered him today, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> who also, also, I think you could throw in there, and I'm not a fan of him at all, and I think he'll be looked at differently for the rest of history, is the guy you have on your shirt right there. I mean, Altuve? In terms of influential, I think that's why the game is so great and why we're so into it is because there's guys who are 6'11", like Randy Johnson, or 6'7", 285 pounds, like Judge. And yeah. then this guy is he's listed at, I think, 5'6". I don't think he's even 5'6". I mean, he's tiny. He's like 5'4", 5'5", and what he can do with a baseball bat, cheating or not, again, I'm not a fan of his, but the fact that he can hit a ball onto the train tracks in Minute Maid, again, at five foot five and hit a ball 440 feet is, is absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, yeah. in terms of changing the game, he, he makes a lot of kids who are way undersized, who are smaller than all of us, like actually realize that they maybe have a shot at this, which is kind of pretty crazy. And I mean, you could even throw, I don't think his stats are up there, but like, a guy like Strowman, who's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and throws 97 or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of guys in terms of just their size that that you could throw in there. Mm. Um, the last point I want to hit on, really, before we go. We've been here for a while now, longer than we anticipated at the beginning. But uh, it's been great it's conversation. Been fun. It's been really fun. It's been a lot I, of fun. I appreciate having you guys coming on and joining me on this. It's kind of a new venture for me. I don't know how frequently I'll be doing these. It's probably not going to be just on just on baseball, but baseball is the main sport that's in season right now. I wanted to make sure I talked about it, um, especially with guys who have a lot to say about the game and I have a lot to care about the game with as well. Um, I am going to challenge both of you to tune into more West Coast baseball, and I'm going to challenge anybody who listens to this as well. Uh, if you're a college student or if you're uh, a member of T-Mobile, I believe you can get MLB TV for free. Um, uh, ever pretty much everybody's on T-Mobile if you're not on AT&T and a lot of people that are listening to this are probably in college or close to it. Um, I've been, because of my work schedule, I'll get home most of the time around like 10, 11 or something. And the only games that are really on are the East coast games that are finishing up or the West coast games are just starting. 
And for some reason, the Angels are always like the last team to have their first pitch. So I always end up watching Angels games. And it's it's Shohei and it's Trout. And thank God they're actually starting to win some games. It's not like mind-numbingly boring to watch. Like you, like we were kind of joking about earlier, those two like having what three or four combined homers in a game and still losing. They've been starting to put some good games together. Rendon will be back soon. Um, I have loved every second of watching them play. I went out to the West Coast to see some baseball games, not just to see Shohei play, but that was a big reason that drew me out there. I've never watched baseball played the way that those two have done it, where you have Trout having the kind of impact he has, not just at the plate, but also in the field, being an incredible center fielder. He's probably the modern era version of a Mickey Mantle, I would say, would be a good comp. Willie Mays Mays would be probably a better comp because Mickey was a switch hitter. Trout isn't. Which like um, some some old heads might get nauseous at us saying that, but if you look at stats, it's kind of yeah, true. it is. I, I think Trout. I I don't know like where the Angels go. I I don't know how they build a competitive team out of these guys. Shohei is a free agent after next year. He might not even be an Angel a year and a half from now, um, and he probably won't be if if they keep this up. But they should they should trade him twenty. Scratch that. Thirty years from now. We're going to look back at this three-year period where the Angels had these two guys who are not just generational talents, but multi-generational talents. Like guys that you will not see have the impact that they're having for the names that we mentioned that Paul and I brought up, that Jason brought up. These are guys, Babe Ruth played 100 years ago now. And Shohei's doing this. He's outpacing Ruth on, on like with what with what they were both doing. He's doing a better job of it. Look at the numbers. It's true. Um I, you got to tune in. If you're, if you haven't already, you have to, because something incredible is happening from one of these two guys, pretty much every single game, pretty much. Um, it's for a baseball nerd. It's like, it's like Cinemax after dark. (laughs) It's insane. Um, yeah, that's, that's my last piece. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Nope. I had a great time doing this and definitely value and respect a lot of your, your baseball knowledge, both of you. Um, I say this to Paul almost every time I talk baseball with him, how dedicated and passionate he is about such a shitty organization. I just am, <laughs> I'm not even saying that in a mean way. I give him so much credit. And like, the Pirates. I've never experienced, I'm going to sound like a spoiled Yankee fan. And yes, we don't have all the rings that we used to have or whatever, but I've never experienced losing seasons like the way Paul has and he still sticks with his team and watches majority of games. So if you have a bad team out there, stick with them because the good years are going to make those bad years so much better. And, and kind of just your fandom will definitely go a long way if you actually stick with your bad teams. <laughs> well, anytime Paul puts a, puts a futures bet on the Pirates win total, he's kind of suckered into sticking around for the whole season anyways. Just that, see if that. he loses money. That's what I got to do to, like, keep myself invested in, in <laughs> September. Uh, I, Jason, I, I appreciate you really throwing – you threw a lot of love to the Pirates throughout the course of the podcast. Um, I'm sure there's maybe none of our listeners or future listeners who are going to be Pirate fans. I do appreciate you uh, you throwing that out there. It's it, it's tough. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, 
you know, I do always pull for him. I, I would also say it's a lost art to listen to a baseball game, but I was listening to the game before we hopped onto the podcast today. Um, I enjoy that a lot um, as well. Like that, that can be something you can do. You can just throw on headphones and listen to a ball game. Um, you know, even if you're doing something else, it's very easy to just kind of to listen to what's going on, but I appreciate the love. Go Buckos. We'll, we'll get back there. 2026 world series. <laughs> I love that for you, Paul. And, and again, thank you to, uh, to joining in on this. I reached out to Jason first. Um, when Jason brought you up to join us tonight, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Why didn't I think of Paul too? Paul would be great for this. We literally, we podcasted before together too. So my bad for not originally thinking of you, but I'm happy to have had both of you here tonight. It's great to see both of you too as well. I, I appreciate it. It went smoother with us not being, you know, intoxicated. <laughs> as we were for some of the previous ones that we did back in the day so yeah definitely a little smoother still still we ended up talking for like two hours but definitely smoother definitely smoother. really really quick last last thing i'll say the reason why paul even came up here which is what i'm what i was saying before paul texted me today at 2 2 p.m randomly he was working and he goes <laughs> sorry just need to rant quickly if the Pirates trade Brian Reynolds this summer, I really need to reevaluate my dedication as a fan. I mean, this guy's going to hit 30 home runs this year and is going to get his average up to 280 at least. He's a star. He's a centerpiece. And then I said, well, we're talking baseball later. So, and that's how, that's how Paul came out of this podcast. Him rapping about his 14 and 134 Pirates. So. Perfect. I'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> I never will... had a $100 million contract in team history, by the way. Just let that sink in. Really? Never. Brian Hayes is just the biggest, and he's like seven years, 80 mil. It's the biggest contract in team history. Wow. I wonder, I mean, I wonder what other teams would not have one of those. The the Rays, probably. Uh, no, Mer- they got one now with Wander. Yeah, you're right. Um, mate. Wow. wow. The uh, A's, I think Eric Chavez was their top, and it was like 60 mil. Yeah, it would pro- the A's would probably be like the only other team. Maybe um, maybe the Brewers, maybe. Would they pay Yelich? Oh, Yelich was at – well, Yelich's AAV was pretty low. I don't think he was actually making that much, and I don't know if it was for as many years to get him to 100 mil. I think Burns and Woodruff, they could get paid. Yeah, Wow. Um, I will let you know, you two know as well. I want to do another baseball theme. One of these probably around, um, probably around the all-star break, um, have some all-star talk. Um, not just really talking about the starters, but kind of having some fun with it. I'll, I'll come up with some topics. I'll let both you two know you, you're both more than welcome to come back. Um, appreciate you guys again for joining us. Uh, thanks for hanging around with me tonight. Um, enjoy your weekend and for all you who tune in. Thank you. Um, Stick it out. This is podcast. It's soup. This is literally the first one. I've never really. This has been an idea that's been in the works for a long time. We're going to build with it. We're going to grow with it. What you see tonight might not be what you see, you know, sometime down the road. But uh, I'm excited for what this could possibly be. And hopefully, uh, many more friends and colleagues like these two guys can uh, join along for the ride. So um, thanks for those of y'all who listen, share with your friends. Um, And we'll see you next time. Fellas, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for sure.